where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And welcome to Carriker on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Swalman out for a couple of days. And Alexa Dat from Bally Sports, kind enough to sit in this morning. Uh, Alexa and I have never met. This is the first time we've ever met. It's great to meet you. How are you doing? <laughs> great to meet you too, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. I've done the show with Michelle. Yep. She is fantastic. You guys have an excellent show here. I listen uh, when I am up early. This is a, the, kind of the witching hour for me because I'm usually up later watching the games and doing the games. But uh, it's awesome to be here with you, so thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have you. And I've heard you on the Fast Lane, too. And you you do a podcast with Danny Wexelman, St. Louis, and every week. Plus, you've done radio before. This is nothing new for you, your your first venture into, into radio, right? Yeah, correct. I love my podcast, getting to talk to a bunch of different baseball players. We've talked to several different Cardinals. They tell some pretty interesting stories, you know, off the beaten path, and they get into the weeds, which is really great. They kind of open up to us. Jack Flaherty hates creamy, uh, crunchy peanut butter, by the way. He has to go creamy. So uh, they tell us all these kind of fun stories and uh, we get to kind of dive deeper into their personalities, which is a lot of fun. How can people find your podcast? It is on Apple and Spotify. It's called That's What She Said with Danny. That's What She Said. Are you a crunchy or a creamy girl? I'm a crunchy girl. You need the consistency because the bread is soft. The jelly is soft. You need the peanut butter and the crunch to give it some sort of like, instead of you're just but, you know, biting into mush. I can go either way on a piece of toast, but you can't put crunchy peanut butter in a smoothie. Yes, you can. You do? Oh, absolutely. Yes, oh. because again, there's the consistency. Smoothies are just, they're just liquid. I'm, you need I'm drinking it through a straw. Alexa. Yeah, but but tiny pieces of peanuts fit in a straw, Randy. <laughs> Unlike his Laker fandom, Jack Flaherty has this one right. His creamy peanut butter is superior. That's the voice of Matthew Rocchio. We'll be here until 10. And a lot coming your way. We're going to talk to the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. We're also going to talk to Danny Mack at 845. We're going to talk to EJ Raddick. I I told Matthew, I I assume you've worked with EJ a lot, right? I have. I love EJ from NHL Network. What a gem he is. There is not a kinder soul in this universe. uh, And he is just so knowledgeable about hockey, too. So excited to have him on. Looking forward to that at 915. And then Jamal Mayers, former Blue and uh, a current member of the Blues organization, helping out with youth. He'll join us at 930. The Blues did win yesterday. Oh, by the way, 5-2 over the Minnesota. Minnesota Wild, and they got things started. They needed to score the first goal. They did with Jordan Cairo tallying at 419 of the first period. Colton Pareko all the way around to the far corner. They got it to Butchnevich in the slot. They shoot and a save. Cairo, he scores! He found the rebound in an open net, and Jordan Cairo gives the Blues a 1-0 lead. 
15-41 to go. First period, the first lead since game one. And Alexa, we saw how much the wind was taken out of the Blues' sails on Friday when Minnesota scored early. The Blues, to me, almost had to score early in this one. That's the biggest key in games like this. You know, Bernie Federko talks about it all the time when we do pregame, getting out to an early start, especially with the defensive deficiencies, the injuries. It's such a key part of them with this victory. But how quickly the tides change, right? People were freaking out this weekend. And now everyone, I mean, Enterprise Center was on fire last night, super electric. And everyone's like, yeah, now we feel confident going back to Minnesota. I'm like, okay, I love it. I love that confidence. But uh, the fact that it changed so quickly just on a dime that that's playoff hockey right right the roller coaster is real and it's a lot of fun yeah so that pesky Kaprizov scores his fifth of the playoffs for Minnesota to tie the game and it was 1-1 after a period but then in the second period at the 10:30 mark our buddy with the character and smallman bump came through they go to Perron shoots on the backhand the save is made the puck is loose and it's gone in the net the Blues have scored Nine and a half to go. It might have gone in off the skate of a Minnesota defenseman after Fleury made the initial save. Two to one, St. Louis. Nine and a half to go in the second period. David Perron's fourth of the series. That was followed 54 seconds later by number 25 again. The Blues get it in front. Toe drag. Cairo to go in the second period. Cairo extends the lead to 3-1. What a backhanded goal and a great smile on the face of Cairo. Boldy made it 3-2 as he scored 239 in the third for Minnesota, but David Perron scoring at the 18-02 mark. That was an empty netter. And then Ryan O'Reilly with one more with one minute left, and the Blues win it by a score of 5-2 despite Alexa not having Tori Krug, Nick Letty, Robert Bortuzzo, and Marco Scandella left the game in the first period. Oh, but Randy, reinforcements are coming. That is the phrase that left that post game, and everyone was on a high after the victory then to hear that you might getting be getting some of these defensemen back that have been such a huge part of getting them to this point come on how can you not be romantic about hockey everyone always says that about baseball yep. but this is the time of year where you have to start believing in this team despite what has been going on in terms of the turnovers on defense and you know the fact that they have guys who can jump in that defensive core and fill those gaps it was unbelievable yesterday when you think about the the fact that the Blues won a playoff game with Miko Mikula. No surprise there that yeah. he's playing for the Blues and getting minutes. But Callie Rosen, Scott Perunovich, Steve Santini, all of those guys, by the way, Pareko, 30 minutes and 7 seconds of ice time. Justin Falk, 31-10 of ice time yesterday. Justin Falk has been one of the best defensive players in the NHL this season. The fact that you can count on him, both offensively and defensively, you know, his plus-minus is through the roof. He's one of those guys that you need out there in this situation, especially with, you know, uh, the the defense uh, being injured. But with Letty and Bortuzzo potentially on their way back, and Letty, you know, since that trade, he has come to this Blues team and been such a spark plug. He gets that puck out of the defensive zone. Yep. That's what you need in a situation like this because the Wild are on the attack, and they're going to be doing that for the rest of the series. But Letty's going to come in, and and, and hopefully, uh, we, we're not 100% sure, but hopefully comes back and, and is a huge uh, addition again for this team, and then Bortuzzo as well. Yeah, how often? 
in your post games or our morning shows after a Blues loss, we talk about defensive zone turnovers, how the defenseman just couldn't keep the puck, keep possession of the puck. You get Letty, and all of a sudden, everybody changed. He seems to kind of lead a charge towards maintaining puck possession. And he's done it before in his career, right? He's taken teams deep in the playoffs. He did it with New York Islanders. And because of that experience and because of the leadership of this Blues team, when he came in, he was like, okay, I've got some experience. You guys know what you're doing. Let's put that together and figure out how we play playoff hockey uh, in a cohesive way. And they're doing just that. Uh, And he'll do that and get right back into the flow when he's back. Back in this lineup. And we haven't even mentioned that Jordan Biddington got the start. No surprise, I know, I know. but number one star, 28 <laughs> uh, saves and 30 opportunities. He plays so much postseason hockey and he plays it well. The fact that they had lost, you know, two straight, Ruby's like, I got to mix it up. The momentum needs to change here. And he went to Bennington, said, you're going to get the start. And I love Bennington's reaction. He was just like, all right. Okay. <laughs> Super even keel. They asked Craig Bruby what Bennington's reaction was. And he was like, I don't know. He just kind of gave me a, sure, I'll go in there, coach, whatever you need. Because that's how he always is. Super calm, cool, collected. And he took that energy and put that there between the pipes. And you have to believe that he'll be back in net tomorrow night as the Blues take on the Wild in game number five at Minnesota. And that uh, pregame for you at 730 here on 101 ESPN. By the way, we should go back to the defenseman and Craig Berube talked about those four defensemen that filled in for the four veterans. You know, the decor... You know, I thought they did a good job today, though. You know, there's some inexperienced guys in there. You know, just Prune hasn't played in a long time. Um, Santini, like, not, not much time. I thought that, uh, you know, Krug and Falk logging 30 minutes did an excellent job. Along with all of them, they all did a good job. They were terrific, and the Blues win it by a score of 5-2. to two. Meanwhile... Alexa had pre and post for the Cardinals as they lost their second in a row. You'll take a split in San Francisco, right? Yeah, of course. And yesterday, Juan Yepes was the highlight of the day with his first major league home run in the second inning. There's a drive. Deep right center. And this ball is gone. Right center, Juan Yepes. His first home run in the big leagues. As he got all of it. And it's 2-0 Cardinals, Juan Yepes, an opposite field home run. Five straight games that Yepes has reached base. That was pretty cool. With his mom there in attendance on Mother's Day, he said, Mom, I'm going to try and hit a homer for you. And that's exactly what he did. And this guy, how can you not put him in the lineup every day, Randy? Mm -hmm. This, I mean, he's he's fighting for at-bats every single game, and he's doing it in so many different ways. I mean, he hit that Jacob Junis pitch, the first one he saw out of the ballpark. He's also, he drew a walk, his first MLB walk. He's playing different positions out there on the field. This is a gamer, and it's going to be very hard to not have him in the lineup. And he's doing against right-handed pitching, right? Albert has two hits against right-handed pitching. As much as we love what Albert's done against left-handers, this is a guy that, like you say, you can play him against anybody, and you can play him, I would think, both corner outfield spots. And if you want to get Goldie or Arenado off their feet for a day, he can play those positions, the corner infield. And, of course, he can DH. And the fact that he is part of this history, right? You know, he's involving everyone, you know, the Pujols walk and then driving Pujols in or him scoring the RBI or, you know, just so much electricity for this team. And he's got that energy. You know, to me, the Cardinals are a little bit buttoned up in terms of an organization. Mm -hmm. Yepes disrupts that. 
And I love the fact that he comes in there with a different kind of energy and saying, you know, I'm 25 years old, but I'm here to play every day and I'm here to kind of mix things up. And he's doing just that. Meanwhile, the Giants did rally to take the lead. Cardinals tied the game at three with a run in the bottom of the sixth, but Mike Yastrzemski homered off of Hennessy's Cabrera in the bottom of the inning to give San Francisco the winning margin. One thing about this game, and we zero in on singular games, by definition, Dakota Hudson is not a very efficient starting pitcher. And he wasn't yesterday, and that's what cost him. He just threw four and two-thirds and threw almost 80 pitches. That's who he is, but he needs to be a little bit more efficient to get you into the sixth rather than into the fifth. He needs to cut down on those walks. Yeah, That's his biggest issue right now. If, you know, if it were a situation where he was going... You know, and giving you four and two thirds, but he wasn't walking as many guys. I wouldn't be as concerned because that bullpen has been so strong and can back him up. But the fact that he's giving free passes, that's Ali Marmol's biggest concern right now. You just can't give guys those kinds of situations because they completely take advantage, especially if you're taking on the San Francisco Giants. And so for Dakota, he just had trouble with his command. He couldn't find it early. Uh, He induced a ground ball out, which was huge. You know, and the fact that the Cardinals have that gold glove winning defense and can turn those double plays behind him. You love to see that. But once he, you know, is off on his command, especially early, if unless he can find it later on, which he did a little bit, uh, it's going to be a tough one for Dakota Hudson. And a couple of games yesterday in the NBA, Dallas evens things with the Phoenix Suns. Kind of a surprise there. Dallas even at two games apiece after winning 111-101 to yesterday in Dallas. And the Sixers knocked off Miami last night, 116-108. to So that series is even at two games apiece. Do you have an NBA team that you like? I am a Washington Wizards fan, okay. so they are not in the postseason. But no. I heard James Harden went off, and I'm a big The Beard fan. He uh, had a big fourth quarter yep. last night, yep. right? So for me, that was pretty fun to see because everyone doubts him for some reason, and he's a baller, so I liked him. I mean, the, the some reason is the, is the playoff numbers. The stats are the reason, I think. But he can turn it on, Matthew, no? He can, but it's just, it, it's just it, it, you know... Game one and game two, game three, yeah, sure. But in, in game six and seven, in his, historically in his career, you know, he's pulled up, you know, and gone three for, you know, 17 from deep. Oh, uh, what are stats? What are historical <laughs> what? stats? What do you need those for? What is, pre- is precedence? Come on now. That doesn't mean anything. He doesn't have to be the guy. Uh-huh. Because Embiid's back, and Embiid is the guy. Yeah. So if you have to defend Embiid, then James Harden is perfect for your team. Yeah, I agree with that. I love Embiid's mask, by the way. I'm was digging that look. wasn't it? What a villain. It looks yeah. so good. It was great. So Philly wins last night, 116-108. to 108. That's Alexa Dat in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got start one, bench one, cut one. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on a Monday morning on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Time for 
Bar One, Bench One, Cut One here on 101 ESPN. Alexa Dat is in for Michelle. We just heard that Alexa is a fan of the Washington Wizards. So, Alexa, this is going to be easy for you, I think. Start One, Bench One, Cut One, Wizards Edition. Okay. Michael Jordan. Yeah. Bradley Beal, Gilbert <laughs> Arenas. Yeah, this is pretty easy. Uh, I'm going to start Michael Jordan. I'm going to bench Bradley Beal. I'm going to cut Gilbert Arenas. And Gilbert did not have a great end there. No, but um, Hibachi was so fun. Agent Zero was crazy. Mm-hmm. Agent Zero, he, man, I remember that. He just created his own little universe. But uh, yeah, he went off the deep end quick. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. So as a kid... Michael Jordan comes. How cool was that to have him come to your team? It was really cool, although it was weird because he wasn't really in great playing shape. He had a couple of games where he put up some points, but uh, overall it was kind of like, is this is this happening? Are we in a dream? And, and also, like, well, we're not the Chicago Bulls, so <laughs> we'll take what we can get. So, yeah, yeah it was definitely. cool. It was fun. I will say, it's you know, if you're not overly tied into Twitter, and you shouldn't be, much, you have a much better life than I do. But if you are, you have realized that Gilbert Arenas is slowly becoming one of the like quietly one of the best NBA podcasters out there right now because he is ridiculously honest. He's been in studio shows. He's obviously been in the locker room. He's been through a lot of stuff. He's played one-on-one against the greatest players in the world, and he has no filter about saying everything he thinks. He is... He's every time a clip pops up with him, he's dropping something I've never heard from inside the game. It's fantastic. Are we sure that it's truthful? Because I could definitely see that <laughs> being a case for him. I, I mean, here's again, he's he, he's talking about stuff from like inside green room and, and, and you know how he, he was complaining about how uh, you know the TV people present sometimes they're arguing. He's like, I've been in green rooms with these people. He's like, I've been in locker rooms with with these players, and, and so he's kind of calling people out. So, so he's got the clouds to back it up. Much, okay, how much is he you know being truthful? Because again, Gilbert's he's been in. He's some a Wild card wild for card. sure. That's, yeah, yeah, that's one way to describe it. Yeah, he. Uh, but it's interesting. He's definitely made a name for himself, saying all kinds of, of fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'll have to listen to it. He has his own podcast, or he just he's, pops up in different places. I'll find which one it is. He does one with with a podcaster every week, I think. Who's but it's a podcaster who's got a bunch of different guests. Okay. So he's got. He, sometimes he has uh, like J.R. Smith or Amon Shumpert on on his show consistently. I gotta find out exactly what the feed is. I'll get it to you. It's really good though. If it's entertaining, it I'm just, in. It yeah. pops up like it pops up in my Twitter feed all the time. Okay. And by the way, props that you uh, gave Bradley Beal uh, a mention there as your uh, your bench guy. Nothing wrong with starting Michael and benching Bradley. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Bradley Beal would do the exact same. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, feel good about that. I have a start bench cut for you. All right. So my parents came to St. Louis for the first time last week. They have never been here before, mm-hmm. and we went to all of the cool landmarks and you know saw all the different sites. So. For somebody who has spent a lot of time in St. Louis, you're from St. Louis, yep, Randy. My entire yeah? life here. Yep. Okay. So start bench cut. St. Louis landmines. Landmarks. Sorry. There's landmines too <laughs> if you get up north a little bit. <laughs> the landmarks. <laughs> the good ones. <laughs> the Arch, Bush Stadium, and Forest Park. Okay. Um. I'm going okay. to You're going to set off a, yeah. a lot of people okay, on the text well, line, here's the thing, which I, I am here for. There's a safe answer. Okay, so this is this is as a resident, not as a visitor. Okay. okay? I'm going to uh, I'm going to start Forest Park because okay. there's so much there. You've got the museums, you've got the Muni, you've got great bicycling and and walking and running. So I'm starting Forest Park. Okay. I am benching Bush Stadium. Whoa. And I'm cutting the arch. In Whoa. terms of visiting a landmark as a resident, I've done it. I only need to do it once. Okay. Now, there's always something new and exciting at Forest Park. There's always something that you don't see at Bush Stadium. 
And the art just kind of, yeah. As, oh, as a St. Louis, he said kind of. Ass. That is the correct answer, but it, the safe answer would have been saying start bush, uh, bench, forest park. That would have been the safest answer. But as a as a resident, absolutely, you're cutting the arch, and absolutely, I think forest park needs to be a start. Yeah. As a visitor, though, have you guys I been to the arch recently? It is a marvel. You stand fantastic. next to it; it as is incredible. Visitor, yeah. And see, for me, the arch, it, my favorite part has always been the museum underneath. I went the to the museum because you learned about the history, how it was built, who built it, yeah, where the Lewis money and, came and, from, and then it's got all the stuff with like the Lewis. And Clark and them going actually, you know, on their trek west. It's got all like, you know, the the exhibits about that stuff too, or at least it used to. I don't know if it yeah, still does. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, so I think if, if you're coming from outside of town, though, I think you start the arch. I think you mm-hmm. bench Bush Stadium, and then you, I think you cut Forest Park. Because as much as I love Forest Park. Every time you're visiting someplace, listen, we have a world-class art museum, but a lot of other big cities also have world-class mm-hmm. art museums. So, like, it's just when you're visiting it, those kind of amenities go down a little bit because you hit them when you visit other big cities. The Arch is unique. Bush Stadium's a beautiful park. Watching a Cardinals home game, if you never have, is a fascinating experience. So it almost kind of flips those two if you're a visitor. Well, Randy, I have to say my parents would probably agree with you. Really? They loved Forest Park. We went to the museum. We went to the World's Fair Pavilion. Mm-hmm. We walked around the Promenade. Uh, we, we checked out Muni, just the, the Science Fair or the Science Museum, and they were in awe. The park is just so beautiful. If you don't take advantage of that park, there's something wrong with you because it's 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 unique. It's an mm-hmm. icon for sure here in St. Louis. Uh, we did not go up in the arch. When's the last time you've been up in the arch? Oh, probably a decade. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. fun, though. You're in this little space it's, it's pod. Cool. And you see everything. Yeah. It's spectacular and it's when you get up there. extremely unstable when you get to the top. Yeah, so the wind does blow it. You're kind yeah. of risking your life, which is a fun experience to, to kind of think about. The pods um, are the riskiest part in my experience. The, the, like the, the, the clinking noise there, on the I way hate, up. I hate the pod going up yeah. more than being at the top. Everyone's knees touching when you're sitting down right. those little seats. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was fun, though. We had a good time. Glad. All right, Matthew, what do we have in the text line? Randy, I like this one. 636 says, start one, bench one, cut one. The 1982 Cardinals, the Rams Super Bowl team, or the 2019 Blues? Okay. That's um, a good one. So, hmm. my introduction to quality baseball as a youngster, was the 82 Cardinals. So I'm going to start the 82 Cardinals. I am going to, even though I've had the opportunity to enjoy the 06 and 11 World Championships and multiple World Series since then, I'm going to start them. I had to wait so, well, I had to wait long for both. Um, I, I'm, But I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to bench the Blues because of the parade, the greatest parade in the history of parades. And... As much as I hate to do it, I'm going to cut the Rams Super Bowl championship as it fades into the past. And we love the guys and we loved the experience, but it's just, it doesn't stack up to me because I know that the people from the 82 Cardinals are still going to be around town. People from the 82 Blues are still going to be around town. And uh, the the Rams, we've got Isaac still, and we've got Orlando, and we've got Kurt occasionally. But it's just... Even though I, I had to wait a long time, and it was one of my great events ever, I, I have to, in those three, I have to cut it. I would agree with that for you, yeah. for sure. That makes the most sense, especially because the NFL is going to take a team away from you. It's going to leave a little bit of a hole in your heart, so right. that makes sense to to cut that, uh, you know, that space out. Um, for me, am I answering this yes, as well? You are. Okay. Uh, yeah, Super Bowl's out for me. That's going to be cut quick. 
And I'm just going to reverse the Cardinals and Blues because for me, being here, you know, uh, just under a year, not even the the. Uh, lore of the 2019 Blues just kind of hangs in the air in a beautiful way mm-hmm. here. Uh, people are just constantly talking about it uh, and and reliving that time and trying to you know get back to to that glory. So I love the the 2019 team and talking to you know all the players about what that run was like. Um, and then so for me, I'll bench the 82 team. That's fair enough. 6-3-6, start one, bench one, cut one, a walk-off home run, an empty net goal, or a buzzer-beating three-pointer. Well, you've certainly cut the empty net goal, right? See, the empty net goal is a lot more fun for the fans because it's a, kind of the nail in the coffin feeling. Like that yeah. one last night, like that was a very like that was a very fun goal because it was a very like, okay, we're tying this up 2-2. But if you're a player, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. I got to get out of here. I, I've got to start the walk-off. Okay. I've got to bench the buzzer beater, and I'm cutting the empty netter. I don't... At the at, when the empty netter happens, I'm getting up and walking out. Right? Yeah, cut, gone. Yeah, uh, no question, done. And for me, I kind of like the buzzer beater to start. It's so exciting. The place goes absolutely uh, bonkers. Uh, Walk off home runs are also uh, thrilling as well. But for me, there's something different about a buzzer beater. Uh, even the name buzzer beater to uh-huh. me just has this kind of a different ring to it. Uh, but, but I think it it sends electricity through the building a little bit differently. Some of the great, we remember the great buzzer beaters, right? We remember Michael against Utah. We remember just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jason Tatum, who hit the first home buzzer beater in Celtics history. Wow. And, and it had never been done before. And uh, obviously the ones that uh, have won NCAA tournaments, yeah, there's there's, there's a lot to be said for the buzzer beater. Pure magic. What's insane is that when that stat popped up, in my head I remembered the one that they didn't hit, the one that everyone talks about how Bird Bird from the corner, you know, like I think Bill Simmons always talks about how he was like perfectly in line. He's like, I've never seen a shot so obviously in the net that didn't actually go through. I think that would have been the yeah. first one ever if Bird hits that at corner three. It's crazy that that missed shot has become so story. Yeah. I think of that when people bring up that Tatum stat. And of course here, people say, well, how could you start anything over David Freeze in Game Six? Sure, sure. <laughs> You'll never like. No. I hear that argument. <laughs> you can't. You can't. And, and again, same thing with that overshadowing it. The best part about the David Freeze stuff is that we never talk about Lance Bergman, which is an equally yep. wild, insane, like, like moment in baseball history that has been completely overshadowed by two David Freeze yeah. hits. Yeah, but for good reason. For good, very good reason. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Alexa is in for Michelle. Coming up, have Jordan Bennington and Jordan Cairo changed the complexion of this first-round series? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to get to the Blues in a moment, but we're watching Quitch, Quick Pitch on MLB Network. What must it be like for people in the DMV area to watch Max Scherzer of the Mets pitching to Bryce Harper of the Phillies? Heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, it, over and over and over again. They lost Harper, and then they lost Scherzer, and it was just uh, devastating for them. Trey Turner also was mm-hmm. out in that, and it I mean, they got their championship. Uh, it was huge for, for Nationals fans. Obviously, the Capitals won as well in that short period of time. But now they're not particularly relevant, and it's just it's tough to watch. And I, 
it's different than when Albert left here for Anaheim because they're in the same division. Yeah. A little bit more tough. All right, the Blues have tied the series with Minnesota at two games apiece with a 5-2 win yesterday. Jordan Cairo with a couple of goals. Jordan Bennington back between the pipes for the Blues. Now, Cairo has had his up-and-down moments so far in the playoffs. What has his coach, Craig Bruby, thought about his play? Well, I think that, um, you know, since the All-Star break, or, you know, after the All-Star game, he's been going through some stuff. And, you know, he's come out of it a little bit and then kind of gone back. But uh, hopefully he can just build off this and get going in the right direction here consistently. And one of the things about Kairou that we saw yesterday, Alexa, is that, man, he's got a great shot, but he passes up a lot of opportunities, doesn't he? I know. Ruby was like, he could have had four goals, but he gave us two. But yesterday he did start playing a little bit more of his game, right? He was on his toes. He was challenging guys in that one-on-one space, which is exactly where he needs to be. He was using his speed north-south. I would like to see him shoot the puck more, mm-hmm. but I, I we love what we got out of him. And for him to step up on the big stage, which is what he's done all season, plays great hockey there in the state of Minnesota, doesn't yeah, he? It's he sure pretty does. cool. Yeah. Uh, it, you knew he was going to have his time, so good for him to bust that out last night. Bruby on the opportunities that Kairou has. I, I was on the bench saying the same thing, but then he kind of tells me the guy sticks in the way and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're, they're the offensive guys, I'm not. But he, uh, he had an excellent game, I think thought that he was on his toes. He he was challenging play people one-on-one. That's his game. And he did that. And um, it was really nice to see him get a couple goals. Um, you know, the follow-up, the rebound, that's a nice goal. He's, he didn't quit on the play. Um, yeah, he had, a, he had a solid game. And Alexa and I talked about it earlier with Kairou. He knew the importance of the Blues scoring first, and he was thrilled to be able to get that first one 419 in. Um, yeah, I mean, anytime you know, obviously, you can get the first goal. It, you know, it's a huge, huge confidence booster for the team. And, you know, especially here at home, you know, the, the crowd was unbelievable tonight. So, yeah, definitely got us going. And it got the building going. It got the team going. Now, Minnesota did come back and score to tie it. But if you get behind after you did on Friday night, it would have been devastating for the Blues. Going into this series, Bernie Federko, Jamie Rivers, and I picked our MVPs of the first round. And obviously, they don't give them out, so we did. <laughs> and Bernie went with Vili Husso. Jamie went with Vladimir Tarasenko, and I said Jordan Cairo. So after game one, Bernie was looking pretty good right after that shutout. I'm feeling like I'm, uh, I've got the edge right now because of Kairou. I knew that there was just something about him that said he wasn't going to go quiet into the night. He has been a guy who's shown up in the biggest way, and he's fast. When you're playing a team like Minnesota, who is big, aggressive, heavy, having those quick skaters out there makes all the difference. And as soon as Kairou turned it on, it, he didn't really look back. And hopefully that progresses here for the rest of the series. And Alexa, you talked about his aggressiveness. Craig Bruby lit into the team on Saturday. And Kairou, after the meeting, wasn't very happy about it. Yeah, you know, it's just like a momentum boost type thing. And, you know, obviously we wanted to come out come out hot today and, you know, come out strong. And, you know, I think we did that. And, you know, we're just going to continue to do that all series long. You hate to think that a guy needs to get a spark at playoff time, but some guys do, and especially a young player like that, because a coach's job is to get a player to do things that he can't think he can do. He doesn't think he can do, right? 100%. And Kairou took his game to another level yesterday, a level that was beyond what he showed us in Game 3. The best was when Baruby was asked about Kairou's comments just then. He said... 
Yeah, I mean, I hope the guy was mad. They didn't play well, you know. So that that's the fire that they're looking for, and he kind of laughed about it, which you know that he did his job, and uh, and Kyrou then went out and did his. Now Jordan Bennington gets his first start of the playoffs this year. How'd it feel to be back in the postseason again? It felt good. Um, you know, I felt prepared, and um, you know, we had a good start to the game. Really good first period, and um, you know, definitely. Uh, a big win and a hard-fought win, and you know we had guys step in the lineup, so um, but it felt pretty good. Alexa, as much of a roller coaster ride as Bennington was on this year, I felt really comfortable with him between the pipes. When the game started yesterday, here's a guy that's won a Stanley Cup. How can you not feel somewhat comfortable with him starting in goal for you? Well, especially after losing two and being a little shaky at goaltending, you're going, well, we got a Stanley Cup winning champion yeah. sitting on the bench. Why don't we throw him in there and see how it works? And it worked out beautifully. He was calm, cool, and collected. He was quiet there in the crease, which when Bennington is quiet, that's when you know he's on his game. Mm-hmm. He's got his entire game and, and mental uh, and physical on the exact same page, which uh, helps in a big way. Plus, he's got guys playing in front of him. I mean, Scott Perunovich hasn't played since the middle of January, right? You've got uh, this defensive core, which is just ravaged by injury. But, you know, um, Rosen and Mikola stepping up in a big way. A lot of people were talking about how they played really well in front of Bennington. Yes, that's true. They didn't play harder because Bennington was in there. They just played a hard game yesterday and really fought their hearts out because, uh, to be honest, it it was a must-win situation for the Blues. So why not go for it? Yeah, well said. And the opportunity when presented to Jordan Bennington, well, he's done it before. He's going to take advantage of it. Yeah, these are these are why we play. These are fun moments, and um, you know, there's adversity, and and it's just backing it up and picking yourself up and trying to get at get back at it again and um you know it was an opportunity for me tonight tonight and um you know we played a heck of a game and we, we kept it tight and um i think now you know we just shift our focus to next game and and uh prepare alexa when the blues played in the bubble and they got beat by vancouver one of the things that Bennington said, I was going to say Jordan, but we'll, we'll go with Bennington here. <laughs> but he, he said he was affected by the lack of emotion because there was no crowd. He's a guy that feeds on the crowd. And I have to believe being in a situation which is highly charged because the Blues are down two games to one. Everybody's down on the team going into that game. I have to believe that that's something that he relishes, loves the opportunity to bring the team back and be emotional in bringing the team back. I 100% agree with that. And also, you know, you got the rally towels there. You got the fans who were ready to go. The He said the energy in the building picked him up. And, you know, Ryan O'Reilly commented on that as well. Uh, O'Reilly's mom in the building, by the Pretty way, cool. last night. How adorable was that on Mother's Day for him to get that goal? But Bitter, you know, for him to be able to quiet that noise, but also uh, play playoff level hockey uh, when he's just kind of stepping into the role this season, uh, you know, having not been in those first couple of games, it, it just shows that he's a he's a he's a gamer. You know, he's a playoff guy who um, he he knows what he needs to do for this team in order to be successful. And he went out and did that. I'm riding the wave here. And by the way, we haven't even talked about this putting Shen on left wing with O'Reilly and Perron to go against that grief line because they needed a little sandpaper. They needed to be a little bit more rugged against that line. And I thought putting Shen. With Perron and O'Reilly against that line was a stroke of, not genius, but a stroke you of You can break. call it genius. Okay, I'll ride genius. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's go with it Let's then. go with it. Yeah. It, it was a great move. Yeah. And because I'm riding the wave, I'm, I feel really good about tomorrow. 
Barubi had said that he had switched up the lines a little bit at the end of game three. So we thought going into game four, I like this line of Shan O'Reilly and Perron and the fact that they worked so well together against that Erickson Eck line, who they'd been dominant coming into that game to quiet those guys. But I don't know. Have you figured out the formula? That That's a winning way right there. And all three of those guys figuring it out on even strength because mm-hmm. uh, three even strength goals coming into that game. They scored three yesterday. It just seemed like everything was clicking in the right way for the Blues, where I didn't really feel that confident going in necessarily. Coming out, you're kind of like, okay, oh, right. This is the team that played so well in the regular season, that did so many things right. Now they're putting it together in the postseason. Okay, so just to clarify here, it was a stroke of genius or Baruby is a genius? Do we have breaking news that Craig Baruby is a genius? I like stroke of genius, Randy. Okay. I'm ready to go there for sure. Okay. Are you ready to say he's a genius? Yeah. You know what? He, he won a Stanley Cup championship with the St. Louis Blues. There's something there. That's a good point. That's a great point. All right, breaking news. Craig Ruby, he's a genius. genius. There you go. Congratulations, sir. Uh, that's Alexa in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Alexa Dat from Valley Sports is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Good to have you with us for... Take it or leave it. And you can send your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Matthew Rocchio will be taking your texts. So, Alexa, over the weekend, the Miami Grand Prix was going going on. Okay. People partying included LeBron, Serena, Venus, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Lindsey Vaughn, Meek Mill was there, Tyga was there, yeah. uh, Will I Am, Buster Rhymes, Joachim Noah, PK Subban. Take it or leave it. The Miami Grand Prix has become the destination sports event for big-time athletes. Bigger than the Indy 500 or the Kentucky Derby. That's where everybody wants to be, it appears. Wow, that's really wild. You know, I saw something on Sky Sports where they thought uh, a guy was Patrick Mahomes and he wasn't. They interviewed him for like five (laughs) minutes and then they're like, oh, you're the wrong guy, bye. Um, So I I don't think they're ready for this to be Mm -hmm. that just yet for all these celebrities to descend uh, upon Miami and kind of take it over. And are these celebrities like really fans of the sport or they're just there to have a good time? Evidently they're fans of the sport because of the the, the show, the the F1 show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that F1 show. I have not tuned into that yet. My boyfriend's dad is a huge fan. He's from Australia and he's really gotten into it. Uh, I, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Because of the show, because of pop culture and how, you know, art mimics life, life mm-hmm. mimics art, I'm ready to go ahead and say yes. All this right. is the premier destination. Yeah. I, I didn't know, but I'm going to take it too. Okay. Yeah, let's take it. All right, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Do you have a ticket or leave it for us? Uh, I'm gonna, I, I've am gonna. i been checking out these texts right now, and um, we got some listeners that have come through with a couple good ones. Can I okay. read some of these yes. to you? Yep. Okay, take it or leave it, Randy. The Cardinals have players finish in the top five for MVP and top five for Cy Young. I'm going to leave it. I, I do believe Arenado is top five MVP. Okay. I don't think we have a top five Cy Young guy, though. Matthew? 
I mean, I guess, I mean, the I guess the question would be: Can is Miles Michaelis a sub two ERA pitcher the entire year? Because I mean, that's right now that's the only candidate, isn't it? You know, for somebody if it's for somebody to stay with their game, a la Arenado winning the MVP, Michaelis would be the only candidate, right? Yeah, it's Michaelis or bust. Yeah, really. so I mean, yeah. is he is he a sub two ERA pitcher for the rest of the year? I mean, track record says no. So I'm going to say uh, leave it. Yeah, and I think it's just going to because of the reputation of other guys. Clayton Kershaw's off to a great start. You have Scherzer still pitching at a high level. Max Fried has pitched in a World Series. Musgrove is having a great year. Bueller has already won one. There's so many guys that already have that reputation ahead of Miles Michaelis. And narrative plays such a role, right, in winning a Cy Young Awards. I think it's going to be hard. I'm actually going to take this. I like that. I believe in Miles Michaelis. I think this is the year where, you know... The division is not that strong, so he can eat up some of those hitters and you know for the Pirates and the Cubs and the Reds. Uh, and, and I think that his confidence right now is absolutely through the roof, and he's only getting better. So I think that there's a chance he finishes top five Cy Young. So and then Arenado for sure is a lock. Yeah. Come on, all day every day. Uh, I'm gonna take this. Love Randy. that confidence. 636, take it or leave it. If you catch our pools' 700th home run ball, the only thing you trade it for is season tickets and the green seats behind home plate. Mm. I'm going to leave that. But season tickets is a good call. Is that too rich? Too rich for, too yeah, yeah, but green seats much. might be a little, a little bit greedy. too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving it. You take that home run ball and you bury it in the backyard and you never <laughs> mention it ever again. And you just live knowing that you have one of the greatest relics of baseball history, you know, in your in your home. Now, cash money. Wouldn't you want Albert to have it? No, not if I catch it. <laughs> yes, and I will very much enjoy looking at the check he writes me before I go cash it in the bank. Because I'm not, not going to be framing it on the wall or anything like that mm. either. You, you want Albert to have it? Does he really want it back is the question. Oh, yeah, he wants it in a stand. I saw a thing with uh, Big Mac, Mark McGuire, who's got a rack full of balls. And his number 62 he has, yeah. but number 70 got sold for like $3.5 million by a guy who here in St. Louis who caught it. Uh-huh. And so Big Mac doesn't have that one. But I have to believe that if in that ball stand that he has, he'd love to have number 70. But it, I don't know. I, if somebody else can, you know, enjoy it and you have this whole entire wall of other baseballs that have meant no, just as I'm, much. And- I want to be a Darren Rovell tweet. Oh, uh, that you got so much money for it? Yeah, I want to be I want to be this. The Albert Pool 700 home run ball just went for $4.9 million to a private collector. But I wonder how... And I'm a private yeah. collector. I wonder how much it'll be worth, though, because it's not a record. It's just Albert Pool 700. I mean, you've had so many people that have already... Well, not so many, but, I mean, you've got Barry Bonds 700 out, out there already, right? Uh, and... Uh, That's tainted, though. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's got a big asterisk on it. Yeah. Uh, 314, simple. Take it or leave it. Binner will be in net tomorrow. Take it. Take it. No yeah. questions asked. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch from here on out. Take it or leave it. Whoever wins game five between the Blues and the Wild wins the series. It seems like a pretty safe take because the Blues could come home and win. And if Minnesota would win game five, then they would be going back for game seven. So I'll take that. I'm going to leave it. I don't believe in the Game 5 voodoo energy, uh, not just yet in terms of deciding the series. Um, it's too close to call to make the decision rest on Game 5 outcomes. Okay. 618, take it or leave it. Juan Yepes needs to be in the DH if he's not in the field playing every game. I'll, uh, I'm not going to say every game, but I'll say most games. I'll take, the, I'll take most games. 
I'll take I'll take every game. I'll take the fact that he's got multi, you know, game hits in, in Forbes first five and the fact that he, you know, can play anywhere and he's smart in the batter's box. He makes great decisions. Also, he can hit for power. And I'm telling you, this spark, this energy, it's electric. And the fact that they were high-fiving and kind of going crazy in the dugout, you don't really see that from the mm-hmm. Cardinals players that much this season. And so for him, that added element, I think it changes, it shakes up the game a little bit for them. Alexa, does he get at-bats at the expense of Corey Dickerson? Yes. I think yes. that's... I was just about to say, yeah. Corey Dickerson, we hardly yeah. knew ye. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm with you there. They needed to do that because they, they wanted to go ahead and, and sign a guy for, you know... Not, not an expensive uh, proposition and, and bringing a guy who was going to help them in, in that role, but it just hasn't worked out, unfortunately. And they signed him to hit for power, uh, and he, he's not been a power hitter. Let me just get his slug for you right here. In 2022, uh, Corey Dickerson slugging only 204, so not exactly a power source. Uh, he does have a double, but no home runs yet. They were so, hoping that he was going to return to all-star form, yeah. and it's just it's not in the cards. He's like the four percent uh, percentile for like hard hit rate, bat on ball, you know, percentage and things like that. Like his analytics are terrible. Uh, take it or leave it. This texter really wants to get this one out here, so I'll get it out there for them. With Go- with Nolan Gorman, I think a perfect player comparison is Dan Ugla. However, not sure if that's the ceiling or is that the floor. Take it or leave it. Dan Ugla as a comparison from Nolan Gorman. Well, Dan Ugla was. A pretty good home run hitter for a couple of years. I don't look at Gorman as that guy. I, I look at Gorman as offensively kind of a Mike Moustakis type. Ooh, interesting. I like that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Ugla in his best year did, um, he, he was a good OPS guy, but he never hit for a high average. I think Gorman has the potential to hit 280. Let's see, Dan Ugla. Uh, Topped out at 287, but then 233, 220, 179, 149, 162. He did hit a lot of home runs a couple of years. He hit more than 30, as a matter of fact, five years in a row. But I just think that Gorman's probably going to be a better hitter than him. I agree. I think, uh, uh, yeah, but here's the other thing, though. The strikeouts factor in. Yeah. That's where it's a big concern for me right now. So if it's kind of, you know, home run or bust with him, then I do see him more a little bit uh, of a comparison to Ugly then. I think you also have to ask, is Nolan Gorman the kind of guy who could have four errors in an All-Star game? That's a good point. Woof. Hope not. Uh, no, I'm going to leave that. <laughs> Moustakis, for his career, 162 game averages, 249, 747 OPS, 25 homers, 79 RBIs. That's the 162 game for Moustakis. I could see that. Ugla, for his career, was a... 241 hitter, but he was a really bad hitter in the second half of his career in terms of batting average. I I, I would hope more Moustakis and less Ugla. And by the way, Ugla averaged 28 homers and 85 RBI. So those they're pretty similar, actually. Ugla had, uh, he didn't have the OPS. He had a 598 OPS for his career, which, uh, no, 783. I'm sorry. So yeah, very similar hitters. So I would say that uh, we, we could see Gorman being similar to those guys. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to watch his OPS, his OBP, because if he's going to be a home run guy and that's what he's brought here to do and he's swinging for the fences and he's striking out a lot, uh, then what do you do? But I'm all in on the Nolan Gorman uh, experiment. Are you, Randy? Have you, have you joined the train? I, I don't want to see him up here playing second base. I, I don't want to give up 
defense at the exp- at the expense of trying to have offense. We've seen bad defense here in St. Louis, and it was the three years the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. So I want to keep that defense on the field right now. There's got to be a spot for Gorman. To, the, the bat plays, but I just don't think it's on the Midland field. Wow, that's very surprising. So you don't trust Tommy Edmond to move over to shortstop, a position that he's played in all of high school, most of the minors, all the way through AAA, and can come up and you know switch over and do just that at shortstop? I, I wish if they tried that, that it would be during the offseason. He didn't take any ground balls at shortstop during spring. And he's played, what, uh, 21 games there in four years at shortstop. I would just like to see him build a little bit of familiarity back position before they put him back. And it's really not as much of an Edmund issue as it is a second base issue. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, this is how the pitching staff is built, right? Right. To induce ground balls and, and ground ball outs, and that's what you use your defense for. So that does make sense that you would compromise that slightly. But uh, I don't think you would compromise it as much as everyone thinks that you would, considering the plus side you would get if Gorman's hitting. If, yeah. And a big if. As like Mo has mentioned, hitting at AAA is a lot different than hitting at the major league level, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. So if he comes up. But here, here's the thing. Why not try it? That's the most interesting part. Why not bring him up and see how it fits? And then if it doesn't work, doesn't work. It's worth trying. Yeah, at some point it's worth trying. But right now you're tied for the second wild card spot. So if if you try it and you lose a game that keeps you out of the playoffs, it's kind of a bad bad try. Yeah, I mean, could you pin that on Gorman though? If he makes an error, in the season, that... I don't know if you could. He's knocking down the door. It's going to burst through, I'm telling you. Yeah, he is. And maybe at some point he winds up being your left-handed DH and then Yepes gets at-bats elsewhere. I could see that happening. Yeah, that, that's something, especially on off days where you need to spell some of those guys. When we started spring training a couple of months ago, this is what we thought, right? I Gorman know. and Yepes yep. as, your, as your DHs. That is Alexa. I'm Randy, and thanks for joining us on Take It or Leave It. Coming up, we're going to reach the 20% mark of the baseball schedule this week. How do we feel about where the Cardinals are? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Alexa is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 808. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Alexa, we've been following the Cardinals since opening day. Here they are as we sit on the day after Mother's Day, May 9th. And they're a game and a half behind Milwaukee. They're tied for the second wild card spot. And the second and third wild cards both make the playoffs this year. How are you feeling about the Cardinals? I'm actually feeling really good. Splitting a series with the Giants, who are a strong team. The fact that they've either won or split every series so far this season, besides that one with the Mets, which you know is an outlier because there was just so much going on, a lot of chaos, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of guys getting hit by pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, to me, as you take a step back from all of the uh, successes uh, or lack thereof on the field, to be able to say that, you either split or won every series so far. 
again, with the one outlier. That's strong. That's a big statement for the Cardinals to be able to, to you know, add to their resume. My concern about this team heading into the season was starting pitching. Starting pitching ERA is sixth in the league at 3.45. You can win a division. You can certainly make the playoffs with that sort of pitching. Uh, the eighth, their eighth in starters ERA at 3.72, and that's Stephen Matz had his outing the other yeah. day. He's had a couple of outings that have really changed what that ERA is. Fourth in bullpen ERA. I believe that the offense is going to be there. Even though the offense has not been there yet, I saw enough from these hitters down the stretch last year, and of course the guys who are established, I think the offense will be there at the end of the season. It's a little bit of feast or famine right now. Yesterday going 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. They left, you know, nine guys on base. But coming into that game, they were strong in the series, right? So uh, it, they're not going to hit every single game. It's just not possible. That's not how baseball, baseball math works out. But we've seen a lot of strength from Tommy Edmond and that leadoff spot. Honestly, you put him anywhere and he plays. And he doesn't really have a weakness, which mm-hmm. is really great. He hits lefties. He hits righties home and away. Um, play six, nine. Again, I love him in that leadoff spot. Uh, He's found a home there and and had a lot of success, so that's been fun to see. Uh, Arenado, stop. He's just, (laughs) he's fantastic. He's in the NL, top of the NL in almost every offensive category. He's had an excellent start to his season. He, in the offseason, worked on you know facing those fastballs, and now he's crushing them, eating them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, So there's so much that's working in this lineup. It's just putting it all together uh, each and every day, day in and day out, and I think that that's coming along. One thing that I like seeing, and I hope we see more of, if the fact that they're 11th in the league in home runs is not a fluke. If because of this ballpark and because of the ball and the humidor and because of who they are, if home runs are suppressed, the fact that Bader is using his athleticism. I want to see Tyler O'Neill utilize his, get more on base. You mentioned Tommy Edmond, who there's more there from an athleticism standpoint to run the bases and intimidate the other team with your speed. I would like to see the Cardinals do more of that simply because I'm not sure. I know Arenado is going to hit his home runs. I know Goldie's going to hit his home runs. But the other guys, you would hope that they're going to hit home runs like they did last year. We just don't know. You have to figure out other ways to win if for some reason you're not going to hit the home run ball. And we're seeing the home run ball down throughout the league. So whether that's the weather, whether that's the shortened spring training, we're not 100% sure how much the ball actually plays into it. We'll see after the season is over. We can assess then. But right now, Cardinals are doing the little things right. They're playing great defense. They are running on, you know, every pitcher they possibly can. Mm-hmm. They lead the league in stolen bases and it's not even close. The Tampa Bay Rays are the next team. They trail them by like seven stolen bases. So for me, getting, you know, using their strengths to their advantage right now, they're doing a brilliant job at that. And you know what's amazing is that this team is 11th in OPS in the league, but first in OPS against left-handed pitching. The reason that they brought in Albert Pools was to crush left-handed pitching, and he, along with the rest of the group, is really doing it. But the problem there that you have is that against right-handed pitching, they haven't found the answer. And you said that you can't wait to see Nolan Gorman. That's one reason to bring up Nolan Gorman now is because they just aren't hitting right-handers. Because look at Juan Yepes. He's in there, and all of a sudden he crushes righties. So that's at least a part of your answer to that problem. And so if Nolan Gorman comes up, he could also help add to that issue or you know help solve it. And so for me, having these guys that you can rely on day in and day out to get them big league at-bats where they're going to be able to handle right-handed pitching, that's one of the biggest weaknesses right now for this team. So if you have the answer, let's go ahead and solve it. And I, I wonder, when you look right now, I, 
it's going to be touch and go to catch and beat Milwaukee, even though they're only two and a half back. Milwaukee's starting pitching is so good. Yeah. And they're the team in the league that could go on a run. The Padres can really pitch. I would expect that, especially once they get to Tease back, they'll be the fourth playoff team. So then you have the Cards, Giants, Rockies. The Braves are going to be in the mix. The Phillies, at some point, are going to be in the mix. And the Cardinals have to find a way to pitch enough so that they can continue, as you said at the top of this, to win series. That's the thing. Just keep winning, splitting with the Giants, win two out of three, split. You do that, you're going to be in the playoffs. And that's what they they need to do is find the pitching that will allow them to do that. Well, think about it. When Jack Flaherty does return, I think he's going to be a huge boost to this rotation. Mm -hmm. During the trade deadline, starting pitching is always at a premium. And so for the Cardinals, it's going to be, you know, last year they did that. They added started pitching. And whether it was those starting pitchers that were the uh, reason why they were successful or not, it was the organization saying, we believe in this team enough to go out and spend some money at the trade deadline to push you guys into the postseason, which I think was a huge uh, fuel for that 17-game yep. win streak. So, uh, And that's always the case at the trade deadline when you want to be able to say you believe in your squad. So for the trade deadline this year, you're going to have starting pitching you know, teams looking all around to try and find it. Well, the Cardinals are going to look at, in their backyard and say, well, Jack Flaherty, you ready to go? Because we're ready to have you make a huge impact. And the starting pitching ERA has been solid besides a couple of outliers. Yep. Steven Matz, I mean, he gave up eight earned runs. So that's going to inflate it to a different level. His Also, his first start this season wasn't spectacular either. So uh, if you take those out, starting pitching ERA shrinks, and now you're looking at a rotation that you believe in. And then you can win the 3-2 games, the 4-2 the right. games. And that's, that's where we are. So we both feel good about where the Cardinals are and where they're headed in 2022. That's Alexa Dat. I'm Randy Carricker, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues and Wild play Game 5 tomorrow in Minnesota. The Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joins us next. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The St. Louis Blues and Minnesota Wild will play game five. Of their best of seven first round Stanley Cup playoff series tomorrow at the XL Energy Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale will have the call at 8.30. Alex Ferrario's pregame at 7.30 right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And we head into the Blues booth. And joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing awesome today. How are you? Everything's good. And let's start with the fact that the Blues started Jordan Bennington between the pipes yesterday. I wasn't surprised with, A, the fact that Bennington got the start, or B, with his performance. What did you think? Yeah, not, uh, surprised with neither as well. And, you, you know, you and I have had some uh, plenty of talks over the course of the year. And I've been pretty steadfast on the fact that I thought that Jordan Bennington was still going to have an impact on this team in the playoff run. And I don't think it's any indictment in any way on Billy Huso over the first few games of the series. As a matter of fact, he was so brilliant in game number one. But it was just a different look and a different feel uh, for the team to change things up. And I think we've seen a lot of uh, goaltenders used already in these playoffs. 
the the pace of the final month of the season, plus going straight into the playoffs and every other day, I think is lending to the fact that you really needed both goaltenders. And boy, did Jordan come through for this team. Curb, so good to hear you on these broadcasts. It's been so fun during this series. Alexa here, by the way. I want to talk about Letty and Bortuzzo. Tell me we're getting reinforcements back, just like we've been hearing echoing in these post-game press conferences. Well, Mike Van Ryan joined us. Uh, on. You know, He does a great hit with us after Blues victories uh, right from the side of the bench immediately after the game. And he mentioned the same thing. He, he said that he hopes that we get a couple of soldiers back from uh, – you know, going into this next game. I, I know that they've been working hard, both Letty and Bortuzzo, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, so uh, besides what you know, I really don't know anything more than that, other than uh, it seems to be very positive rhetoric coming from the coaching staff that one, if not both of these guys, could be available for game five. And that that would be quite a boost because the challenging situation the Blues are in, guys, is a result of what I still think is – a bad rule. Now, it's a rule that's in place to protect the minor league system and the veteran players. So, in other words, once the trade deadline comes, a team can only have four total call-ups. And the Blues had used all four. They were able to play seven defensemen last night, including Santini and Perunovic, because they were in the emergency situation where they could not field a lineup with six healthy defensemen. That's why the game before they could not do seven defensemen when I think they really, truly would have wanted to do so. And because the the Blues have a good minor league system, because Springfield is a really good team, and because they're still playing, they don't have the full regiment of players at their disposal, say, like Minnesota does, because the Iowa Wild is already done. So the Blues were able to play the seven defensemen. It was a a plan that worked. Counting the regular season, they're now 9-4-2 and in situations when they use that, uh, that, that roster formation. Uh, but so when those guys or one or two of those guys come back, it's still going to impact their ability on how the roster has to go. So I, I thought they took advantage of that situation as best they could, played really well, and you do hope to get one, if not both of those guys back. And Curbs, in limited minutes, Scott Perunovich, when he has the puck on his stick, it shows up. He's really a noticeable player, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And Craig Maruby, when talking to uh, some of the media in the morning, talked about how the fact that, look, the guy probably deserved to make team out of camp but they just had healthy defensive numbers he went down and he lit it up in the american hockey league and then when they brought him up he did go through some growing pains and unfortunately you know after going back down having not played for a little while he got hurt so a good player look he's a hobie baker winner you know that's that's the heisman trophy of of college hockey and and he won a national championship so he's been in some high pressure situations and i thought in those limited minutes, and they really wanted him in there to kind of replace Tory Krug on that power play unit. I know the power play didn't get a goal on, the, on when he was out there, but he looked pretty good quarterbacking it. He looked very comfortable. Curbs, Bruby shaking up the line. Shen, O'Reilly, Perron, uh, three beautiful words that were utilized uh, very well in that game, shutting down that Erickson-Eck line. What can we see in terms of this line going forward? Well, Ryan O'Reilly was a beast last night. I mean, he, he he was just absolutely fantastic. Joe Vitale and I, after the game, kind of described it as a captain's game. He he, he led his team into the fight in that game and, and was just excellent. That line was fantastic. The Blues played with composure. Craig Berube didn't really like some of what he saw on the bench or how the team was reacting to the situations that developed over the course of Game 3. So he had what he described as a tough meeting, said some things. He said that might have been hard for some guys to hear. 
and uh, and really came out and he really liked the team's composure in that game. So it starts with that, and it starts with that line that did a great job on on the Minnesota grief line. The the other line that uh, you really have to look at and, and give some credit to is the the Russian line that they put together with Barbashev, Butchnevich, and Tarasenko. They've got some good chances. You know, no, they didn't get any offense in the game for the most part. But that line ended up getting the assignment against the Kaprizov line, and I think they took some pride in that. And they did a pretty good job against them. So uh, I, I know Kaprizov got loose on that one play. Of Vladimir Tarasenko probably could have dropped down a little bit lower. Marco Scandella coming over to help more in the middle on that one goal. But for the most part, I thought they did a really good job. And once again, you know, kind of the adjustments that this coaching staff made proves to be a, a very good, fruitful one. And Curbs, it seemed like especially in the two games that the Blues lost, in games two and three, that they started running around looking for the hit a little bit, and that resulted in some of the odd man rushes coming back. Yesterday just looked like more of a structured setup for me and not running around looking for the hit. Did you see it that way? Yeah, you know what? There's a couple things there, Randy. I think first off, you're absolutely right. That was the composure part that Craig Berube talked about, but I think that team was just overhyped. I mean, they were juiced up and ready to go. And, and I'm, I'm seeing this throughout all the playoffs when you watch all these other games. Look, it, this is the first playoffs in two years where the teams have played kind of a normal situation, a normal schedule in front of packed houses, right? And I, I think it's resulting in some amped-up first-round hockey, which has frankly been fun to see. But the, the other part of it is the Blues know and understand what type of team they are. They know they're not the grind-it-down-low team that they were the previous couple of years. They know they're a team that seems to create more off the rush. And in understanding that, when you look at the head-to-head games between the Blues and the Minnesota Wild in the regular season, the rush chances created were something like 25-18 to 18 or 25-17 to 17 favoring the Blues in the regular season. Through the first three games of this playoff series, that had flipped to where Minnesota was, was out chancing the Blues on the rush by I believe it was 18 to 15 or 18 to 14. Now, it may not sound like a lot, but it just shows how the adjustments in the series made. I think the Blues flipped that script back yesterday. They controlled the rush chances of Minnesota much better. They created some on their own, as evidenced by a couple of great plays by Jordan Cairo. He had the two goals. He had another three point-blank chances in the slot. He chose to pass rather than shoot. And, uh, and, and I think that that is a huge key going into game number five is controlling those rush chances both for and against. Baruby mentioned about Kairou that he was on his toes, challenging guys one-on-one, really playing his style of hockey. Yeah, those two goals, but Baruby said he could have given us four. How much more Kairou are we going to see and his style of hockey going forward? Well, so we're going back to Minnesota, Alexa, and so we'll see how the matchups go you know, and what Dean Evason is going to try to do uh, in, in that game. And I, I think no doubt again, He's going to try to keep that Erickson Eck line away from the O'Reilly line as, as best as he possibly can. But Jordan Cairo is such a, a key piece. Now, I, he did not have a very good game one, despite the Blues win, was was kind of invisible in that game. His game has gotten better over games two, three, and four. And, and I said after game three, it still looked like he just didn't want to go into some of those areas that, that were tough enough that you have to go through. Last night, he was cutting and moving down the middle. Some of that confidence was really starting to come back. And I think that's huge. If that happens, and if they end up keeping him with Robert Thomas, there's a different look and a different balance to the lineup, the way that they've got that thing structured. And it could be really huge. So I think if he can build off of what he did in this last game, 
it means really good things for the Blues. Curbs, a couple more quick things. Number one, you mentioned the other series, and the only non-competitive series is the Colorado-Nashville series. But there's some crazy series, too. How about Toronto and Tampa? Every game, the, the winning team has scored at least five goals, and... Most of the time, it's a blowout. Five nothing, five three, five two. Last night, seven to three. That's been just a, a crazy series that you never know what to expect from. No, that's true, and and, and part of that is still the the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't have a belief system yet that they can go on a deep run until they've actually done it. Uh, they're still top heavy. They're a very good team, you know. But are they a good enough defending team? And that remains to be seen. I think in like something like twenty four of the twenty six playoff games randy uh, throughout the playoffs so far the winning team has scored four goals and wh- while we have had that one great triple overtime game with you know the the spicy pork and broccoli <laughs> and louis domingue that, that won for the pittsburgh penguins over the new york rangers we haven't seen a whole lot of close hockey yet yeah i mean and you did have the one overtime game in colorado against nashville too but uh even in this series, yesterday's game was really the, the closest game. It was the first game that was tied at some point or, or within the goal in, in the third period. So I, I think you're seeing so much of this just run-and-gun hockey, and it's entertaining across the board. And finally, earlier in the show, Alexa and I uh, anointed Craig Berube a genius. Uh, and it was in part because of what he did yesterday. But if you go back to his time with the Blues, he did win a Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, is that the label that should be there? Genius, Craig Ruby? I, you know what? If you want, I know he'd take it. Uh, <laughs> there's no doubt there. Uh, listen, guys, I think, I mean, I, I really don't know that there is a better coaching staff in the league in terms of in-game adjustments and, and having a real feel for the team. And you know how you get coaches that, will coach a certain style and and once once they don't have enough players to have that style or you'll have coaches that say you know don't really like to bring along the young kids whatever it may be this is not this coaching staff this coaching staff i think is as good as any if not the best in the league in terms of making in-game during the game adjustments in between game adjustments in the playoffs and and then on top of that Craig Berube has proven to maybe be the best coach in the National Hockey League right now in terms of bringing young guys along and continuing to get them to grow when they're in, in, the, in the National Hockey League. And here's another quick note for you. The Minnesota Wild just had the same lineup for the third straight game. They made the one change. They put Alex Goligoski in after game one to game two, right? And they took out Dmitry Kulikov. That's it. The Blues have lost a defenseman in every single game. In, in three of the four games, they've had a defenseman get hurt in the first period not be able to finish a game. The lat- this, this is really mind-blowing. The Blues only had the same lineup in the regular season all the way to this day time in the postseason. They only had the same lineup for four consecutive games once all year, wow. and that was games 45, 46, 47, and 48. Prior to that, they only had the same lineup three times, a handful of times, and in the last 10 games, and this includes the first four games of this series, the Blues have not had the same lineup in back-to-back games because of injuries and things that have crept up. And, and they, yet they were still able to put on the ice and come away with like the third-best record in franchise history and are tied 2-2 in, in Series 1. I mean, it's, it's really impressive what this coach is doing. Curbs, great stuff. Safe travels today, and we will be tuned in tomorrow for game number five and come home with an opportunity for us to get it in six because that's what I predicted. I love the thought of that. Randy, Alexa, thank you very much. Have an awesome week. You too. Thanks, Curbs. Yep. That's the voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN.
Did you I, pick the Blues in six, I hope? I think it's going seven. Okay. I'm with Michelle. I heard her prediction, yeah. and I think this is going to be a hard-fought series. And it, even more so now with with the injuries and the way that the Wild have been playing, because uh, Blue's been playing the Wild's game a little bit more. Uh, last night, that, that changed a little bit. Hopefully, that's the trend. But you got to go back to Minnesota. So they have home ice now. So um, I, th- I think it goes seven. All right. That's Alexa Dat in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And... Uh, if you have not yet texted in, Matthew's looking for a fighter. We've got the fighter coming up next, 65780. The Air Comfort Service text line just text in your name and the word fight, and maybe Matthew will pick you to fight me next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the on character and small men in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome randy character oh ladies and gentlemen are you ready it is the fight here on 101 espn Alexa Dat in for Michelle Smallman. Randy has left the room and we are ready to throw some fists. We welcome in our challenger today. Andrew is joining us. Andrew, so good to have you on the show. First of all, how are you feeling going up against Randy? Because if I were you, I'd be nervous. Yeah, not not great. <laughs> what do you do for a living, Andrew? Uh, I'm an accountant for the normal brand. Okay, so you're good with numbers. I love that. That uh, that's going to be really your only fighting chance in this this throwdown here because we know Randy. He's like an encyclopedia. I love listening to this guy in the morning because he's got all the knowledge. But Andrew, you got a fighting chance because that's what we do here. All right, so let's start you off with question number one. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Jordan Bennington got his 17th playoff win yesterday, tying him for the franchise lead with two other Blues. Mike Liute is one. Who is the other? Here are your options. Glenn Hall, Greg Millen, Brian Elliott. Uh, Greg Millen. All right. Uh, Happy birthday uh, for some people out there. I guess they would think this. To Steve Eiserman (laughs) in his famous steal and goal against the St. Louis Blues in the 96 playoffs. What goalie did he beat for the double OT winner? Was that Roman Turek, John Casey, or Curtis Joseph? Uh, It's John Casey. The only two 12 RBI games in MLB history were recorded by Cardinals. Jim Bottomley was the first in September of 1924. Who was the other reaching that feat in September of 1993? Greg Jeffries, Bernard Gilkey, or Mark Witten? Uh, I'm going to guess Mark Witten with all those home runs in that one game. All right. And who was the last horse to win the Triple Crown? Was that Justify, American Pharaoh, or War of Will? Uh, let's go American Pharaoh. Andrew, how are you feeling? You feeling good? I uh, felt good after two questions. Not so great now. Okay. Well, listen, you keep your spirits high because we have Randy entering the room. And he's got his fight face on. Game face. He's putting the gloves on right Alexa, now. I'm ready. 
I, you've never had the opportunity to do this before, so I don't want to disappoint you. Uh, well, I, I, you could never disappoint me, Randy. I've heard you crush this several times. I obviously uh, feel bad for the contestants. <laughs> All right, Randy. Here we go with question number one. Ready. You're facing Andrew today, by the way. Andrew, good morning. How are you doing? Hi, Randy. Doing good. I had the opportunity to meet you at a, a couple of the ECH golf tournaments. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for participating in that. That's my golf tournament, and I appreciate you getting out there, and I appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the show today. All right. Good luck. Thank you, Andrew. Randy, you like golf? I didn't know that. I'm just kidding. Uh, I definitely knew that. Uh, Jordan (laughs) Bennington got his 17th playoff win yesterday, tying him for the franchise lead with two other Hmm. blues. Mike Leod is one. Randy, who is the other? The other is a guy, Alexa, who, when he got traded by the Blues, called his own press conference and fed the media. You never forget a guy like that. It's Greg Millen. That's a great guy. That is an incredible story. Um, I know you might not say this, Randy, but I'll say it. Happy birthday to Steve Eiserman. Yeah. <laughs> his famous steal and goal Jerk. against the St. Louis Blues in the 96 playoffs. What goalie did he beat for the double OT winner? He beat him legit. Okay, I didn't respect that shot for a long time. <laughs> so can, I, can, I name, can I name drop for you? Of course. Please. During the pandemic, on a Sunday morning, I'm sitting at home watching some mindless TV, and I get a text from Joe Buck who says, they're showing the... Blues Red Wings 1996 Game 7. Uh-huh. And uh, on NHL Network, I said, okay, I'll flip over. And so I'm watching the third period of that game. We're texting back and forth. I did not respect that shot against John Casey as much as I should have. That was a mm. laser, and it was it was one of the great shots in hockey history. And I've talked to Jamie Rivers about it. It, it. It's like it dipped. After it got over Casey's shoulder, it's like it dipped into the goal. It was unbelievable. You had me at text from Joe Buck. That's legendary Joe status is right a, there. Uh, Joe Buck is a hockey fan. I know. He's into it, man. I know. It's pretty cool. All right, question number three, Randy. The only two 12 RBI games in MLB history were recorded by Cardinals. Mm. Jim Bottomley was the first to do it September 16th, 1924. Who was the other? Reached that feat September 7th, 1993. I'm going to say that that was probably hard-hitting Mark Witten in uh, a game in which he had four home runs. All right, and number four, who was the last horse to win the Triple Crown? Um, it's not Secretariat anymore. It was for a long time. Then we had several in a row. Can you give me the lifeline, Matthew, please? Yes, sir. Is it Justify, American Pharaoh, or War of Will? I American Pharaoh was supposed to become a legendary horse. Did it? Or is it Justified? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with... Uh, I don't think it's the other one. What was the, what was the third one you mentioned? War of Will. I don't think it was War of Will. I'm going to go with Justified. Well, here we go. Andrew, the suspense we're, we're is find out. killing me. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Just win, baby! A premature celebration. Just win, baby! <laughs> there we go. Randy, congratulations. You are the winner. Andrew, you put up a good fight. I got to say, three out of four is always strong. Uh, Coming through with some big names there. But Randy takes the cake. Uh, This encyclopedia of knowledge over here. He just, he knows his sports. Like a machine. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you playing today, Andrew. You were terrific and you're a great sport. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. All right. Andrew with us on 101 ESPN. Hot, hot, hot. Oh, 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 it's too hot. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Don't stop.
There we go. That's all I'm, all I'm doing today. <laughs> they give me a machine, Alexa, and they turn me loose. What am I going to do? It's excellent. Can I give you the tiebreaker question just to see? Yes. I'm so curious how you feel about this. Okay. Chris Duncan had the same amount of home runs and doubles in his career. Mm. How many was it? I believe that number for the late, great Chris Duncan was 55. Seriously, this guy, it is crazy. Well, congratulations, Randy, on your win. And uh, basically, you are Craig Bruby status now. You're a genius. <laughs> Thanks, Alexa. That's the voice of Alexa Dad. And by the way, those limited edition Dunk CD16 t-shirts are available for a limited time. Now through next Friday, May 20th, you can order this year's CD16 t-shirt in honor of Dunk. Proceeds from all sales going to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Check out the limited edition Dunk Baby Blue Jersey, and order yours now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up next on 101ESPN, we're going to talk to the voice of the Cardinals on Bally Sports, uh, back home from the West Coast, and ready to talk some ball. Danny Mac next on 101ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101ESPN. Alexa Dad of Bally Sports in for Michelle this morning, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Danny Mack is back from the West Coast, where the Cardinals split with the Giants. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Randy, Alexa, great to be with you. How are we doing? Everything's outstanding. And let's start with this. If you told me before that series in San Francisco... Well, let's start with it, Randy. All right, let's do it. Uh, let's do it. We're going to get a split out of, the Gi- out of this series with the Giants. I'll take it. Now, you don't like losing the last two, but big picture, you split with San Francisco out there, you take that. I think we saw them at the right time, too. You know, when you, when you start looking at what they were dealing with, uh, Ustremski just coming back off the COVID IL... Brandon Belt was not available. Initially, they had some bullpen issues. Dominic Leone, the former Cardinal, has been really good for them for basically about a year now. He was just coming back. He picked up the win yesterday. They did not have Tommy LaStella. So that could be a different-looking team when they come to St. Louis uh, beginning on Friday night to finish out the season series with the Giants. But caught them at the right time. I thought they were competitive games. I thought they were fun games. And uh I'm with you. I think if you you go on the road, you play 500, and then you try to take care of business at at home, and and that usually is the game plan for getting into postseason play. Danny Mac, BT, and I have had a blast listening to you this weekend. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. I want to ask you if you were surprised at all that Oracle Park, (laughs) the San Francisco Giants, were the first team to recognize Yachty and Albert so far this season. You know, it's a good question, and it's something that – we have been talking about a lot, actually, behind the scenes. Now, when we were in Miami, they set up a press conference specifically for Yachty and, and for Albert to, to you know address the local media. And, and obviously, they're very, very popular in that part of the country. So people want to hear from them. Um, so that was set up there. I, I do think, though, as we move forward, uh, we're going to have, especially like when you get into the central teams, Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, my guess is that you're going to see more of this. Uh, I'll be interested on the next road trip, last time through New York. And obviously, Yachty and, and Albert are popular among the fan base there, too, in certain regards. But there's also some you know, moments that they've had against them that have been remarkable. So 
I think as we move uh, move forward, and especially when you play the central teams and the final time at Wrigley, final time to boo him in Cincinnati for Yachty, I, I think we're going to see some of that stuff. Um, not necessarily like the Derek Jeter treatment or maybe what we have seen. Um, I specifically remember uh, the Chipper Jones getting something from the Cardinals, and the Cardinals did something for Jeter. I, I think some teams may do that, but if, if anything, at the minimum, what they're going to do is recognize them either in a pregame ceremony of some sort or like the Giants did yesterday and just acknowledge him on the video board, which was really cool to see. Hey, Dan, we all expected at the beginning of the season that the Cardinals would hit a lot of home runs. Playing at Bush Stadium does not help a team hit home runs. The humidor is not helping the Cardinals hit home runs. They're 19th in Major League Baseball right now with 23 homers. By comparison, the leaders, the Yankees, have 37. Do you see, with the weather getting warmer and getting used to the humidor, do you think the power will be there for the Cardinals by the end of the season? I think it can be, Randy. Um, I'm going to also throw in another reason is the baseball. And the baseball right now, in my opinion, and this is no scientific study, this is just talking to people around the game, the baseball is dead. And uh, and it's not to say that other teams aren't hitting home runs, but some teams are playing in smaller ballparks. Some teams are playing in warmer weather. And I do think the true test will be once the weather gets hot here in St. Louis, and my understanding is it's supposed to be warm, um, on my phone, my cell phone's ringing. I got to turn that off. Um, is that once it gets warm, uh, you know, throughout the summer months, that we're going to see the ball start to travel? Now, that's the idea. Uh, in talking with people that are around the game, they think that the humidor has had an effect in cold weather areas, and that when we get to summer months, that it should kind of level out and be more even in, in what we saw. A year ago. So we'll see. Time will tell. But I do think that there is an issue with the baseball. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Let's hope so, because we want to see Nolan Gorman in this lineup and we want to see that ball leaving the ballpark uh, being parked in the seats. When will we see Nolan Gorman, Dan? Well, I I think part of the thing that you have to remember with Nolan Gorman and so I'm going to I'm going to contradict myself and then I'm going to give some reasoning here, too. So just bear with me here. Um, His strikeout rate is up. And I think that is a little bit of concern uh, when you make the jump from AAA to Major League Baseball. Typically, your strikeout rate and swing and miss rate is going to jump. I think that could happen with him. However, if he's hitting bombs like he's doing down in the minor leagues, uh, I'll take all those swings and misses and strikeouts and have no problem with it. I'll throw something else at you. I was talking to some people on this road trip, um, not affiliated with the Cardinals, but around Major League Baseball, and not media members. These are people that are in the game, and they said, you know, one of the things that they're very cautious about that they're seeing with teams is that because the ball is so different at the Major League level, it's not the same in the Minor League level. And they, they think that that could, you know, be problematic if a player comes up. Now, everything that I'm saying could be thrown out the window, and he could come up here and tear it up, which <laughs> is what I hope would happen. Um, but... In terms of when he comes up, and it's a question now of when and not if, and I I don't know that answer, Alexa. I think DeYoung probably bought himself some time, you know, with a couple of hits over the weekend, and he's played, for the most part, really good defense, although he had a couple of blemishes over the weekend. But I I don't think I want to move Tommy Edmond. Uh, Tommy Edmond is making plays. For instance, he won you a game two days ago or three days ago now, with a double play that he started on a ball hit up the middle. Uh, 
that that doesn't get made by normal second baseman. It just doesn't. And he's making plays that are just ridiculous. Two nights ago in the loss, uh, he made a diving stop and started a double play that no one even gets a glove on. Uh, the metrics would show that. I don't know if I want to mess with that. However, if I'm pressed into it, I guess you got to do what you got to do. But, you know, at this point, I- I'm not sure I want to move Tommy, and that would be one of the options. Now, the other part you got to remember, too, is that Sosa should be coming off the COVID IL here, I, I would hope, by tomorrow. And if you want to sit to Young and kind of give him a mental break and rest him a little bit, you would have that opportunity. And then to kind of answer your question, if I can, uh, rightfully so, is maybe that buys you a little time at shortstop to see what that looks like. And if then you're getting absolutely no production out of it, then at that point, then the conversation is fully on the table. Finally, Dan, if you like black and orange, this is the 10 days to be following the Cardinals. It is. You got the Orioles coming in. The Orioles have never been to Bush Stadium 3. And Bush Stadium 3 opened up in 2006. Wow. And the last time that they were in St. Louis was in 2003. Um, and so it's been a long time. And, and that, to me, has been a problem with how Major League Baseball is, is handled their schedule with the uh, you know the unbalanced schedule and interleague play. But to not have Baltimore in St. Louis since 2003 doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And when Albert left St. Louis and people were, you know, dying to see him back in town, it didn't happen for a long, long time. Now that's all going to change next year when everybody faces everybody. But uh, that has been, to me, one of the problems that you've had in the current schedule that uh, Major League Baseball puts out. So you get Baltimore coming in. Obviously, they're in a situation that they've been down and they're below 500 again this year. And then you get the Giants uh, over the weekend, and uh, that that always is a fun series. I, I just it was really interesting. I was talking to Kruko and Kipe and John Miller and Dave Fleming and and the, the broadcast crew of of the Giants all weekend, and we were talking about how great the rivalry really has been um, between the the Cardinals and the Giants, and and that'll carry over this weekend, but it's been postseason matchups going back to 87. It's been the, the great matchups with Dusty and Tony and Bonds and McGuire in the early 2000s, and they met in the NLCS a bunch, so it's been competitive, and I think it'll be a lot of fun this weekend. Daniel, we know you're busy. We appreciate your time this morning, as always, and we'll be tuned in tomorrow for the Cards and the Orioles. Enjoy this quote-unquote day off. Thanks for working with me, guys. Around the ske- I got a big commercial shoot this morning. All right, who's it for? Uh, Car Shield. All right. Can't wait to see Danny doing Car Shield. I'm going to be with uh, Dylan Carlson, I think. Love it. Okay. Dan, have a great day. We'll see you later. Okay, guys. Thanks. Take it easy. Danny Mack with us on 101 ESPN. Car Shield. We never see them on Bally. (laughs) 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 So it'll be great to see Dan and Dylan with that spot. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, Alexa and Randy. No Michelle today, but we still have You're Killing Me, Smalls, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. 906 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle is not here today. Alexa Dat from Valley Sports joining me. And a couple of things to, to touch on, Alexa. First of all, ESPN's Woj reporting, so we know it's right, <laughs> that Nikola Jokic has won his second consecutive 
NBA MVP award. That is one of the favorite players of our own Matthew Rocchio. If you, if you didn't know, you should know right now. Yeah, congratulations to the Joker, right? This dude is a baller through and through. Uh, what's up with the international players winning MVP? It's pretty crazy, right? I'm legitimately surprised he won this one. I thought this was Embiid's. You know, for He's back-to-back, and then Giannis before him for back-to-back, so four years in a row. Wow. Those arrows, they, they, they know how to play. They and do. By the way, Giannis and Embiid were the other two finalists. Yep. So no American-born players. I thought Embiid had it, too. I really... I thought, I thought he had it sealed up. With it was the, way, a, the way the 76ers played this year, I thought he did. It's a close race. I like that, though. But good for the Joker. I mean, he he has excellent ball handling ability. He just puts it all together. It's, it's a crazy shot. It's wild when you when I mean, watch this dude shoot. It's, 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 a, it's a healthy volume version of Bill Walton. It's incredible. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> if you would have told me... When I was in my 20s, the seven-footers are doing what they're doing yeah, now. That's a I good said, point. No way. That's a good point. It's yeah. incredible. Carl Anthony yeah. Towns shooting 43% on like 12 threes per game. <laughs> yeah. It's seven feet tall. Yeah. And I guess I think it's like nine threes Dirk, still. We, we can thank Dirk for this, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy that changed the game. Yeah. Yeah, Dirk was the first real seven footer yeah. that, that that completely. But for him though, he was always a he was always a power forward though. Mm-hmm. He still, still needed the center back with Dirk, and now it's like no no no, you have to shoot threes and be able to block shots at the rim, or else you're getting played off the floor at one point or the other. Yeah, you got to be able to do it all. That's why Giannis was like, I'm here to up my game, to get better, to be uh, a you know force at the free throw line, uh, you know behind the arc, all of that. But yeah, Dirk was. You're right. He was, but he was kind of slow, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He and was like slower. Said, he couldn't. You know, they won. A championship because they got Tyson Chandler to guard the rim, right? And, and so now, yep. but now you have to have you know that the, the word that's used in NBA circles is unicorns. You got to have mm-hmm. a unicorn to win a championship. They had Redick too, by the way, from the arc, didn't they? Uh, they had a couple. They had a bunch that of shooters. Team. They had a bunch of shooters. Yeah. So Alexa, the Golden State Warriors lost one of their key defensive performers. As a matter of fact, the guy that was supposed to help shut down Ja, Gary Payton's son, Gary. And you say, well, Gary Payton, too. That's no surprise there. But this, it's, I wasn't aware of this. This is a great story from Gary Payton 1. Right. So they're, they're like, uh, what are they, like five months apart? They're five oh, months apart. I they're didn't know that part. Okay. Yeah, they're five months apart. So it's it's like, you know, when I was dating my uh, Gary II's mom, who I met in high school. And then when I got the NBA, I had a relationship with another lady. Uh-huh. So, so happened they both had the, the kids in the same year. So it was like, they both wanted to name him Gary. So I said, okay, cool. you could name one Gary Jr. and one Gary the second. So it was one of them things where it worked out for me. I'm, I'm happy for that. I got two sons named after me. We can keep my we can keep our, my name going on. So that's all I was talking about. You know, just keep my name going on. And just so happy one of my one of my oldest son, Gary Jr., just had a baby. So we we named him Gavin. So we still keep the GP okay. GP two. You know, GP two. Yeah. So it's it's good though, man. You know, I, it was one of the moments that I had during my time. You know, everybody goes through that when you get in the pros, and it it worked out for the best for me. Alexa, your take. Uh, he must be a huge George Foreman fan because <laughs> yep. Foreman named all five of his sons George Foreman in order to have something in common. So uh, I feel like <laughs> Gary Payton's kind of going uh, down that ramp. Yeah. I like how he had to uh, extrapolate that because Gary Payton Jr. can't name his son Gary Payton third because that would be mean mm-hmm. that his son is Gary Payton III and Gary Payton II then couldn't name his son Gary Payton III. 
This is so confusing. I, I can't believe this so, is actually real. Well, clearly, the glove only applied to his defense. <laughs> <laughs> what? You, what? Oh, what? No, we wow. all know. We all know. You got, wow. you, you, got Travis, you got a Travis Henry or Antonio Cromartie joke in the chamber right Some now? Some camp, yeah, you've got something. <laughs> uh, that is You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a gentleman that's an old friend and Alexa worked with at NHL Network, EJ Raddick, joins us next to talk Blues Wild on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Alexa Dat is in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and EJ Raddick of NHL Network, who I believe has some familiarity with Alexa Dat, joins us now. EJ, it's always good to have you with us. How are you doing? Hi, Randy. Yes, I do have familiarity with Alexa Dat because I worked with her at uh, MLB Network, where the NHL Network is housed. So, uh, and I'm very excited for her to have the great opportunity she's getting there in St. Louis. So uh, I'm happy to be on with both of you. Hi, EJ. So good to hear your voice. <laughs> I see you all the time up on my TV, and to, to be able to get to talk to you again uh, is awesome. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm, and I see you on, on my TV as well. So I'm glad things are going well. And, uh, hey, big game yesterday, and the Blues found a way to get a win. So we're, we're two out of three down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, here in St. Louis, Blues fans were pretty nervous going into that game, but they come out feeling uh, like a whole new, uh, you know, kind of fan, you know. But now you take that confidence and you got to go back to Minnesota. So how do you feel from a more of a national perspective about this series and how it's going to play out? Well, it's it's been tough, I think, for St. Louis with the injuries on defense. I mean, to lose Letty and to lose Crew and to have Bortuzzo out of the lineup. I mean, teams usually don't survive those kind of injuries in the postseason, but, uh, you know, they really leaned on Colton Pareko and Justin Falk yesterday. Both guys played over 30 minutes. They had 7-D in the lineup technically, but, uh, you know, Scandella, who's been dealing with injury, barely played. And, uh, you know, Santini didn't, didn't play very much either, so... You know, they really did lean on those two guys a lot, and uh, they were able to find a way. And, uh, and Scott Perunovich, who hadn't played in a, in a good while, um, you know, I thought he played well in, in the minutes he played, particularly on the power play. He was snapping the fuck around. I mean, to come in and to, to jump into that situation and to, I think, to play it with as much confidence as he displayed in the game, I was impressed. So uh, Craig Ruby has kind of shuffled the deck. He's had to. And uh, – Going to Jordan Bennington yesterday, I think that was kind of a that was a bold call. Even though Bennington has been a Stanley Cup winner, I mean, Huso has been the goalie really for most of the second half of the season. So uh, you know, the St. Louis Blues, I think they they knew they needed to, to to really shuffle the deck and came out with a good performance. EJ, I think one of the things that we've had trouble coming to grips with here in St. Louis is that the style that the Blues employed when they won the Cup three years ago is a different style than now. Finding their game in 2022 is different than finding their game in 2019. Do you agree with that? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's funny. In 2019, the Blues were big, strong, long, hard to play against on defense. Uh, they'd get the puck in deep, really work the cycle game, wear you down. And, you know, Jordan Biddington was asked to be good, but he wasn't asked to make too many monster saves on a night-to-night basis because the Blues defended really well and they were just hard to deal with in the D zone. This team... They, with obviously, you guys know the personnel changes they've had over the last couple of years. Petrangelo's gone, uh, Boomeister's gone. I mean, you go you go through the group; they're just not as big and long and strong. They're kind of a more uh, of a smaller group on defense, but yet they're more dangerous offensively. I mean, they had that top nine group of forwards. I mean, I think all of them had twenty goals. So, you know, they're much more offensive minded. They can beat you off the rush. They they play kind of a different game, and they. And because of that, they do ask their goaltender to do more. And that's why, you know, Huso was really uh, someone that was really vital to that team this year because he played very, very well for them on a consistent basis. Um, so you're right. It's a different kind of group. And uh, and it's fine when Krug is healthy and Letty is healthy and Bortuzzo is healthy and they can kind of get through with the group of defense they have now. But they're really stretched with these injuries and – you know, that's going to be the difficult part playing against Minnesota because Minnesota is kind of a big, strong, likes to grind off the, you know, on the cycle game and, and really wear you down defensively or, you know, with their, with their forwards in the, in, the, uh, in the offensive zone. So it's, more, it's even more of a challenge with all those guys out for St. Louis now. But you're absolutely right. It's kind of funny. The teams are only separated. The Blues 19 team and the Blues 22 team aren't that far apart. And there's a lot of similar players, obviously, from the on the both teams. But it is they are two different teams in the way they approach things. EJ, when you see Jordan Kyrou have a game like he did yesterday, and obviously on the national stage, he steps up in a big way during that Winter Classic and during the All Star break. Where do you feel like his ceiling is for this series? Well, he's a he's a terrific player. I mean, he got off to a, a really good start this season. You know, I would say somewhere in February, it was you know February March. He kind of slowed down a little bit. Robert Thomas has kind of took off that line with Thomas Tarasenko uh, and uh, and Bushnevich really really uh, took off for them. And but I think uh, Kairu's game is resurfacing. Uh, it's resurfaced late in the season. And it's resurfacing again at just the right time. He was terrific in the game yesterday and made a couple, had a couple of great goals. The second one in particular was just uh, what we've seen from him. He's been a little bit of a thorn in the side of the Minnesota Wild. Alexa, as you mentioned, at the Winter Classic, he kind of torched them in that, you know, uh, big, you know multi-goal second period. So um, they need him. I mean, they, they need all hands on deck right now. They need to to be able to, to hopefully get out of their zone and and then really attack with those forwards off the rush and also able to keep try to keep pucks in and get the cycle game going and keep Minnesota pinned down in their end. If you're going to beat most teams, and I would say certainly the Minnesota Wild are no different, is you want to get, get that puck behind their defenseman, work their defense, and make it hard for them. And I think St. Louis did that in stretches of the game yesterday that made it, you know, made their team more effective. So, He's a big part of that. They get, uh, you know, like I say, they have a lot of different contributions from from different forwards. They shook it up yesterday. They went to the 11 forward, 7 defense look, and that gives them an opportunity to play, you know, maybe even another, you know, minute here, minute there for some of the high-end forwards. But, 
you know, he's a big part of things for that team. And uh, it's going to be a challenge, let's face it. You know, you're missing that many defensemen back there. Uh, Falk and, and Pareko were unbelievable yesterday, both over 30 minutes. It's going to really be a challenge over these next couple of games. NHL Network's EJ Raddick with us on 101 ESPN. And EJ, it seems like the only team that has really consistently found their game among the 16 in the playoffs is Colorado. Otherwise, there's been a lot of inconsistency. Why do you think that's been the case? Well, I think that's the case because Colorado's playing a team that has, doesn't have their goalie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That, I mean... Colorado's really good. We all know Colorado's really good. They come in this guy. There's a favorite in the postseason this year. It's Colorado. But, you know, they are playing a Nashville team that is playing without a really important piece of the puzzle. And that's, uh, you know, their goaltender, UC Soros. He has been uh, he has been the backbone of that group going back to the middle of last season. And uh, that injury that he suffered late in the year was just, you know, really ill time for that franchise. And, you know, when you as you guys saw – I think I go back to Bennington in 2019 is like the blues had struggled with inconsistent goaltending. They'd had a good team for many, many years. And, you know, just had Jake Allen, you know, he had his moments when he was good, but in the big moments, it was a struggle. And when Bennington came in, he gave like a baseline of really good goaltending and the blues were able to take off from there with their group. They had confidence. They, they felt good that the guy behind them was going to be, was going to be consistently solid. And in Nashville, they asked UC Soros to do much more than that. And he has been just terrific over the last, I would say, 18 months on the calendar. And for him to be out, now all the good work they try to do in games gets undermined by inconsistent goaltending. So, uh, you know, I think they're in a tough spot. And certainly playing against the Colorado Avalanche team that can really expose, uh, you know, a a goaltending problem. So, you know, the Avalanche are in a good spot. They're taking full advantage of it. We'll see if they can wrap things up tonight. But I agree with you. Everything else, it's been very hard to figure. I mean, look at L.A. and Edmonton. L.A. wins game one by a goal. The next two games, Edmonton blow out L.A. Last night, the Kings shut out the Oilers. So, I mean, that's just one series. And you go right through all of them. There's been so much inconsistency back and forth. Or just I wouldn't even say inconsistency. I would just say, you know, it's like two sides pulling a rope and it's tug of war and you go back and forth because there's not a lot that separates these teams in the National Hockey League these days. Yeah, I feel like no series has exemplified that more than the Maple Leafs lightning, which has been pretty exciting. Oh. Tied it to EJ. How do you predict that one shakes out? Boy, oh boy, Alexia. I don't know if I can predict anything anymore. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's too crazy. It's, but, you know, like that's another great example. The Leafs look like world beaters in game one. Like, you know, I, I joked with my colleague, Jackie Redmond, who's a big, you know, from Toronto and a big, you know, Leafs fan. And, you know, I said that if I was great in game one, that would have been A++. plus plus plus. I mean, the Leafs were so good in game one. And then what happens? Tampa turns around and, and kind of, uh, you know, knocks their socks off in game two. And then the same thing, we saw game three, Toronto off to a good start, they win. Game four, Tampa off to a good start, they win. So, I, I think in the end, you have to, I, I think objectively, you have to still give Tampa the advantage because they have, I think, a decided advantage in goal with Vasilevsky. And then they've just got head been on defense. They've got guys who've done it. They've won back-to-back Stanley Cups. But the Toronto Maple Leafs have a really good team. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch those last three games because the, there's the, the gap between those teams isn't as big as people might think. And the question at the end of the day, and this is why I stay with Tampa, Alexa, is because at the end of the day, at a big spot, I just trust Vasilevsky to make saves more than I do Campbell, based on the history. 
yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good history to have. EJ, as always, we love hearing your voice and we love your work at NHL Network. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. And hopefully the Blues can pull this one out and we'll be able to talk as the playoffs unfold. All right. Well, I hope so. I like the Blues team this year and I, I feel bad because of the injuries, but we'll see what Craig Brubank and company have in store. It should be a fun couple of games. Alexa, keep up the good work. I'll be watching. And I hope all the good people in St. Louis take good care of you there. They are, EJ. So good to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, you keep up the good work as well. All right. We'll try. We'll try. That's our friend EJ Raddick of NHL Network on 101 ESPN. Alexa Dat in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up, more Blues discussion. Our friend Jamal Mayers, former Blue and former Blackhawks pregame, postgame, and uh, between periods host. Jammer joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alexa, that is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. And last week we had former Blue Jamal Mayers on after uh, Blue's victory. And actually it was a Blue's loss. But we've decided to have Jamal on. And he has graciously agreed to join us after every Blue's playoff game. So Jamal Mayers is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jammer, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? Everything's good. What did you think of the game yesterday? Oh, I was... Obviously, a great effort, a great start. Um, I think getting the first goal was massive for the Blues and um, reestablishing their game. And I thought the second half of the game, they did a really nice job of really getting out of the zone quickly and and playing their style of hockey and not running out of position and and making sure that they, you know, stay on their toes and and forced uh, the Wild to take chances, and then capitalize on those opportunities. Jamal, we've been hearing about this speech, this talking to that the players got from Craig Berube. As a former player, what does a conversation and a a heightened uh, talking to uh, feel like and and come out the other side for, for the player's perspective when something like that happens? Well, I think sometimes as a player, you can get stuck in a a state of comfort. I'm not saying that that's where they were. I think that um, having a coaching staff that has so much experience, not only coaching but having played, and all you know, all the coaches played. So, you know, as a player, when you when you hear your coach uh, who played with a ton of passion, who understands that there's an opportunity for this group and I think getting the, the players to really appreciate and understand that these opportunities to win don't come along very often in your career and you have to take advantage of it whether you're at the beginning of, the, of your career the middle of your career or at the end of your career uh, you know realizing that these opportunities don't come around a lot uh, is important and I think that that probably was the sentiment of the passionate speech I'm assuming that Craig Berube want his team to understand that they have a great opportunity and that it would be a shame if they let it go by. Jamal Mayer is with us on 101 ESPN. And Jammer, you mentioned the the running around and looking for the hit that resulted in the odd man rushes. And we, as fans, we say, well, these are veteran players. They shouldn't get as emotional. As a player, though, I have to believe that when you're on the ice in a playoff situation and you are looking for a hit, emotion has to play a role in the playoffs, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that the biggest point for me would be that not to take a linear path in the neutral zone. And what I mean by that is if you take a straight line as a defender, as a defenseman, to someone who has possession of the puck, and it's not a 50-50, they have possession, they're coming toward you. If you choose to go hit that player and take a straight line, in today's NHL where they activate another layer, whether it's a defense or another forward, into the offensive zone, you're putting your team at a disadvantage. So although you may think you're helping by being physical and going out there, it's never a good idea, in my opinion, to take a straight line to hit someone in the neutral zone in today's NHL. I think that your motion has to be back toward your own end. I think that when you do give up that hit, uh, you're taking yourself out of position and you're susceptible to breakaways, to odd man situations, which you saw in the previous game. And I think they did a much better job of managing those emotions, of taking the hits when they're there on the forecheck, but being smart and well aware that if they do go out of position, that they're likely going to create uh, unnecessary stress on their defense. What do you think putting Shen up with O'Reilly and Perron accomplished? I think he plays uh, that physical game. He plays with a certain amount of pace. I think that uh, there's, a, there's a certain, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a secret that that third line of the, of the Minnesota Wild had really taken advantage of that line, quite frankly. And so, uh, and you think about it, you think Erickson Eck, they, they've got uh, some bigger players in the back, on that line that really drive the offense for that group. And so I think it was a smart move to put Schenner up there because he's a guy that can skate. He's a guy that can contribute offensively. But he does play with a pace that allows them, and they did a great job. That line from Erickson Eck line and Felino, uh, they were minus two. And I, I think that making that change was a smart one. It, it allowed them to play in the offensive zone, to handle them defensively, and to really take advantage of their weaknesses uh, uh, by making them play in the defensive zone. Jamal, this is a sentiment mainly from fans who, uh, in my opinion, don't know what they're talking about, but I want you to dispel this rumor. Tell me that players don't play harder in front of one goalie versus another. I think that it's hard to say. I think that you want to play the same for both goalies. I think that where it comes into play is that, I'll give you an example. So you have Binner that comes in. Obviously, guys care about Binner. They, they care about both goalies, quite frankly. But you want to protect them in a sense. You understand he's coming in in a very difficult situation. So you want to make sure that you, almost as a team, whether it's consciously or otherwise, you're going to protect him a little bit more. You're going to block more shots because you want to make sure he gets into the game and feels the puck early on. And you want to make sure that you're doing the right things defensively so that he can regain his form because you care about him. Obviously, you care about Huso too, but I think that it gets heightened even further when you've had past success. And I think that as a group, whether consciously or subconsciously, you're going to do things to help protect the guy who's been sitting there who... You want to make sure he has success. You know it's a tough situation for him. And I think as a group, you tighten up defensively, and, I, and they did that uh, as evidenced by how, how few shots they allowed in the first 20 minutes of that game. Hey, Jammer, do you, based on what we've seen in the first four games, do you feel like you have something that you can expect tomorrow from Game 5? 
Yeah, I think that the the Blues, the, the formula that works is for them to exit the zone quickly. And I think that there are times where they're going to have to just punt. And what that means is just get the puck into the neutral zone and not come out cleanly. I think the the better, the quicker they're able to establish their forecheck, the quicker they're able to exit the zone and really put pressure on the smaller D of the Minnesota Wild, I think that the Blues are going to have success. I think their ability to use the width of the ice has also been evident. I think that Flurry is a guy who likes to challenge the shooter almost to a detriment, and I think it plays right into the Blues' hands. And if they are able to look for plays across seams and across the ice and force Flurry to have to travel a great distance to look for those shots, I think they're going to have success. Jamal Mayers, you always provide great insight for us. We're looking forward to tomorrow, and we will talk to you on Wednesday morning. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Okay, appreciate it, guys. Take care. See you later. That is Jamal Mayers joining us on 101 ESPN. You learn stuff from Jammer every time you talk to him. It's really interesting, and he didn't particularly dispel the rumor that I asked him to, which no. was, um, you know... I thought pretty fascinating because other players that I've talked to have said, it doesn't matter who you throw back there. Whoever's in net, we protect them. I guess you're supposed to say that. Mm -hmm. But Jamal's like, I don't have anyone to protect here. Sometimes there is a little bit more effort for one guy or the other because you you really are are, are looking out for a guy. So um, that's interesting to me. And I wonder sometimes if you trust a guy so much that you take chances on the other end that you wouldn't offensively, that you wouldn't ordinarily take. You're willing to allow one guy to hang out to dry because you trust him more. That's a great point. Yeah, I think that that plays into the mindset um, you know, from top to bottom, from defense all the way uh, and into the offensive zone if you've got somebody in there that you really do trust in, uh, in net. Okay, so you started at Bally uh, right at the beginning of the hockey season. Is that correct? I did. Okay, so we haven't had the opportunity. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to work with Alexa Dad. So we're going to get to know Alexa next on 101 ESPN. Good luck. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alexa Dad is in for Michelle. I'm Randy, and uh, we we don't know Alexa really well. We see her on TV, does a great job. Hear Alexa on the radio, and I wanted to get a chance to know Alexa a little bit. First of all, as you know, having been in St. Louis now for several months, the question here is, where'd you go to high school? So, (laughs) where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, Rockville, Maryland. Mm -hmm. I went to Magruder High School. Anytime (laughs) I say that, somebody goes, Magruder? You went to high school with Magruder? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Not as cool, but uh, yeah, Magruder. I went to University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. I worked for a regional sports network there, and then they transferred me up to New York, where I was... um, I was in New York for, wow, 12 years, and I bounced around working for uh, a station on Staten Island, worked for MLB Network, uh, NHL Network, and... uh, various other outlets kind of around the tri-state area. And at Maryland, did you study anything other than broadcast, or was that where you were headed? Un poquito español. Spanish? Yeah. You still have it, too. I, That's great. Yeah, I minored in Spanish. I moved to, or not moved, I studied abroad in Spain and Madrid cool. for a couple of months. Um, so, yeah, I speak a little Spanish. Good. It's rusty, but, but it's there. when you're working baseball, that's a great thing to have. It's a great tool in the toolbox. I do speak a little Spanish to the guys in the clubhouse, Good and they deal. appreciate it. For All sure. right. Favorite childhood athlete? Allen Iverson. Oh, AI. Yeah. AI was my guy. I uh, watched him at Georgetown growing up, and he just, to me, epitomized what basketball should be, which is uh, all handles, 
um, undersized, had to prove himself, had a chip on his shoulder, and he was always kind of that guy that that no one wanted to mess with, and I loved that mm-hmm. about him. Any excitement on any level about the Orioles coming into town this week? No, you know, I was an Orioles fan growing up as a kid. My dad would take me to Camden Yards. I was there for 21-31 when Cal Ripken Jr. broke uh-huh, Lou cool. Gehrig's record, which was awesome. But then when the Nationals came to town, and you know, the Orioles had been bad for a while, and I went to opening day, Ryan Zimmerman hit a walk-off home run, and I just fell in love with them. I ended up mm-hmm. covering them, and uh, it, it was the rest was history. So, uh, you know, the soft spot, but but nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. Huge sports fan. Favorite sport. Wow, we base- know you're. We know you're a fan. Baseball, baseball for sure. Why? To me, well, first of all, going to a baseball game is one of my favorite activities of all time. Just mm-hmm. the the sounds, the sights, the scents. Um, you know, the fact that you got to be paying attention to every pitch. Something crazy could happen. Great defense. Uh, I love small ball, but home runs are always fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to see that lightning quick speed, and you know uh, these guys—they're now throwing on the gun 103 miles an hour, mm-hmm. which is wild. Uh, and outdoors, you're outdoors. You're in nature, basically right. watching sports, which is which is really cool. So um, yeah, baseball for sure. So the sports fan code for beaches or mountains is Florida spring training or Arizona spring training. I've never been to Arizona spring training. Mm. I do like the desert, but to me, there's something kind of cool about those Florida showers where they kind of uh, sneak up on you unexpectedly, dump a bunch of rain on you with lightning thunder and then scatter away and they're, and they're gone. So um, I love uh, the beaches. They're both awesome. One of the things I really like about Arizona spring training is that, again, from a sports fans, a, a baseball nerd standpoint, yeah. every team's within 45 minutes of each other. I know, that is other. helpful. Yeah, but then you don't have like Alligator Alley in Florida where you get to right. drive like that really cool, weird <laughs> swamp land where like you might see an alligator or you might see some dead bodies. Like, you don't know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> All right. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Always. Okay. 100%. I got a Corgi German Shepherd named Bear and I got a Black Lab named Frankie. So oh, Wait, hold on a second. Yes. You have a Corgi German Shepherd. Can you imagine that union? I can't. No. That's that's it why it wasn't pretty. I, it wasn't consensual. I'll say that. What is this? What is this dog like? Is it like that has to be the most mischievous, dangerously smart he is animal smart. in the world? Yeah, corgis are always way too smart. He has smart. a giant jaw for only being thirty pounds. Oh my gosh! He chews extra large bones. <laughs> oh my gosh! When he has a medium sized dog, that the, that short legs the, or long legs. Uh, between he's like missing one joint, so they're okay. not teeny tiny like corgis, but they're not giant like a normal size. That is the weirdest combination. I'll show you pictures. You'll picture fall of this pup. That's a, yeah. that, I mean, okay. that is wow. That dog. That dog must outsmart you way too many. I times. need him to be more stupid. Yeah. yeah. Somebody told me with corgis, get the dumbest dog in the litter. That way you'll have a normal dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're so smart. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting answer for me because you have the region in which you grew up, but you also have your age, Michael or LeBron. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. MJ or LeBron? Hmm. I don't know. For me, it kind of goes a little bit uh, beyond the scope of the game. I love the fact that LeBron is a social advocate. You know, he, he speaks his mind. He, he's there to represent his generation. MJ was there at ball. And mm-hmm. LeBron is trying to be a little bit bigger than that. So for me, I think in terms of legacy overall... Um, LeBron, but MJ was just so fun to mm-hmm. watch play. That's a real man, Randy. You got me. That's a hard one. Um, I'm going to say LeBron, though. Okay, your number one hobby went away from doing sports casting. Love working out, uh, going to the beach, walking the park with my dog. 
uh, and my boyfriend uh, going out to eat. You like walking um, your boyfriend? I like walking my boyfriend, Good. yes. Uh-huh. He's also a, very much a golden retriever uh, type personality. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he walks in, in the pack with us all. Uh, yeah, and, and any travel. I'm headed to cool. Italy this summer. Nice. So that'll be fun. Um, Have yeah, you ever been there? I have. Okay, yes. good. Are you doing like the full, like north, south, Sicily, full breadth or what? We are going to the heel of the boot of Italy in a little Ooh. city called Pugilia. Yeah. So there's a wedding there that we're headed to. But Great. I've been to Florence and Rome, Vatican City, and, and done kind of awesome. a lot of that. Good so. for you. Yeah. And finally, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I would be unemployed, Randy, because I'm not good at anything else, and I'm barely uh, acceptable at this job. So, no, you're um, awesome. Maybe I would be selling uh, cars or ice cream or, I don't know, something that, that entertains me. Um, yeah, pretty much nothing else. This is it. There was no plan B. <laughs> no plan B. Uh, okay, Timmy's waiting outside, but i got to give you this in 30 seconds. The St. Louis Rams had a defensive end named Ethan Westbrook, who had a tattoo on his face. When asked why he had a tattoo on his face, he said, well, I knew with this tattoo on my face, if I went in for an interview, there wasn't a very strong likelihood they were going to hire me. And I didn't want a plan B. Football was going to be it. (laughs) So smart move. And he wound up spending like eight years in the NFL. And he only needed to get a face tattoo in order to make that happen. Didn't want to have a plan B. Okay. It's a little extreme, but I love it. I love the dedication. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It's been awesome working with you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Alexa Datt, she's part of the 101 ESPN family. She's done the fast lane now. She's been with Carriker and Smallman, and uh, we appreciate Alexa being a part of the show today. Great job by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. We've got a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax coming up for all of us. Thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.